1: The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network.
2: What's up, everybody? This is the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson here, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style.
3: Come to chill and let him have it, because this is just an intro. Keeping it strong style, six stars from the get-go, boy. Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome, this is Keeping It Strong Style. With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan and the young boy, Joshua Smith. And thank you for listening. Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith. On today's show, we review nights four through nine of the 2022 New Japan Cup and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling tea store, pressingteescom slash suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuitplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translation and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much much more it takes njpw world to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, welcome back, man. Yeah. Um
2: thanks for having me. Um uh, thanks for allowing me to return to the show. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't I wasn't sure if I was going to be allowed to come back, you know.
3: Not going to be allowed to come weeks. back to your own show.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, for real, um, thank you guys for listening, thank you for tuning in, and, um, you know, big shout out to Chris Samsa filling in, you know, um, my, my giant jock, uh, <laughs> manning the ship while I was gone, so, uh, definitely appreciate that, and, uh, you know, for those of you that have reached out this past week concerning, um, the losses in my family, greatly appreciate that, and all the well-wishers and everything of that nature, so. Um, I'd like to also start off by saying I'm frustrated right now. Okay. I made myself a nice drink, a night, I've had a a long, hard weekend, hard week, hard day. And I decided I'm going to make myself a nice, refreshing lemonade gin drink. Okay. So I, I, I got the drink all set to go, made myself like the raspberry lemonade, put in some sparkling water. I mean, this is gourmet, like, this is like FOH draft level of just not as much alcohol but as far as like fanciness that's the same level we're talking about here and I like to top it off with a nice straw okay listen to this you hear that do you hear this crackling yeah okay we have these uh these colored straws and like I know they're not good for turtles but like every now and again I like to just be decadent and have a nice straw it just it's the best way to drink a fruity drink like this, man. This shit is cracked. It's it, it it's botched, it, it did the job. I'm not gonna be able to use it. We're already on the air. I wish I would have caught it before we came on there, I would have gone and got another straw. We got literally like a thousand pack. Uh, I'm not happy. Not happy about it because drinking from the rim is for pores, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you're gonna have to
3: slum it and uh you know, just go go for it be the poor life yeah
2: yeah slum it with the poor god <laughs> no but uh yeah man um glad to be back we got a lot to get into uh you told me you had some uh some some special news you wanted to drop on the uh, on the air here
3: yeah man so as uh, as everybody has known that i i'm engaged so also that means i am now uh, planning a wedding so you know i am uh, establishing my stable uh, my groomsmen and when you when you need somebody you gotta turn to your blood you gotta turn <laughs> to the click. so young boy will you be one of my groomsmen
2: oh man um no in all seriousness uh jeremy asked me this before we went on there but i was like yeah we should save this for the show uh <laughs> <laughs> but let me ask you this how long do i have to give you an answer uh i mean
3: I don't know, usually people responded right away, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's just that's a really big commitment. What kind of responsibilities does a groomsman carry for, you know, a Jeremy Donovan wedding?
3: Uh I mean showing up to the building on time. Uh damn. <laughs> wearing whatever, you know, we the the you know the assigned, you know, uniform, or whatever we pick out, you know, colors or whatever.
2: I want creative control. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I'll I'll be uh I'll be one of the groomsmen now. The, the big question I think everyone wants to know is like, where am I in the lineup? Am I main eventing? Am I am I curtain jerking? Like, where am I? You know, cool. am I doing the job? What's the deal? Well,
3: you know, this is, this is like a um, one of scenarios where you know everybody is equal. No, there, there that's, is. There's... That's never a thing. That's never a
2: thing. <laughs> this man's trying to work me into a handshake and a hot dog roll in his wedding. <laughs> Treat me like I'm a good little hand, but I, you know, mark contract. What the fuck? No, absolutely. Excited to do it. Excited to uh, be part of the festivities. Um, and uh, really excited for the Bachelor Party.
3: Yeah, hopefully, you know, we're not, nothing uh, too crazy is going to be uh,
2: going on. Oh, it's gonna be crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, that's exciting. Um, so yeah, and uh, we definitely need to monetize your wedding for this podcast <laughs> live stream. I'm streaming. thinking, I'm thinking NFTs. <laughs> yeah, NFTs of
3: of pictures of the wedding. We could we could uh, live stream it uh, on Twitch. You woke up. We get uh, get on Rich's Twitch. Uh, live stream it.
2: I've been told that an NFT can be anything. I don't know how it works, but I think pretty. I think like your your marriage could be an NFT, basically. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah. Well, in that
3: case, yeah, I guess you know, we all just do the whole the whole thing will be just one big NFT.
2: Well, no, not one big NFT. We'll do many multiple NFTs. NFTs. There we go. Multiple, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you guys want to support this show, support someone. Get with us. T- teach us how to what what is an NFT and teach us how to do it. And I don't want to hear, oh, it's, you know, a money laundering scheme. We get that. Whatever. Just teach us how to do it. We want to be in on the grift. We don't want to be, you know, the ones getting grifted.
3: Yeah, maybe we'll hit up uh, Gabe Sapolsky.
2: He uh, seems to be <laughs> yeah. all into the he NFTs. Was t- he was tweeting. He's like, what are the best NFTs? Oh, you know who's big with uh, the cryptos and stuff? Rocky. That's who we should hit up. Mm, Good yes. friend of the show. Yeah, he, he knows all about NFTs. Hey, there we isn't go. He, isn't he doing one with my Kunis?
3: I know Marlon is doing well. I didn't realize that Rocky was a part of that. I, I
2: think? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I haven't been keeping up with what's going on. I've been trying to watch all this uh, New Japan Cup. <laughs> Goodness. I mean, um, yeah, we'll get into it. But I have affectionately um, dubbed this year's New Japan Cup the MJC. <laughs> the, uh... the Mid-Japan Cup. <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh man, yeah, we we have a uh, plenty of uh, New Japan or Mid Japan of young boy likes to call it stuff to talk about. Uh, but before we jump into all that, I think we got kind of start on a little bit of a down note here and just talk about uh, the passing of Scott Hall, aka Razor Ramon, the bad guy. Uh, passed away at 63 years old. Uh, was taken off of light support on Monday. After suffering three heart attacks on Saturday, he had been in a Georgia hospital since March first. After he sustained a broken hip that required surgery, um, a blood clot, clot got loose um, last week, and he developed serious complications that led to the heart attacks and then ultimately led to his passing. Um, so, also our, our thoughts and prayers and condolences to all the friends and family. Of Scott Hall, um, but young boy, do you have any you know thoughts or memories uh,
2: about Scott Hall? Yeah, man. I mean, I think most uh, wrestling fans from our generation of fandom, um, you know, have fond memories of Scott Hall from his time as you know whether it was the NWO days as Scott Hall as part of the uh, Hostile Takeover and all that, or whether it was as Razor Ramon. You know, my my fandom of uh, Scott Hall. I, I wouldn't call it fandom. My uh, awareness goes all the way back to like the Diamond Stud days in the early days of WCW, because uh, I used to get like tapes from my uh, my grandfather back in the day, and I for whatever reason I had like tapes with Oz Kevin Nash as Oz in, 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 in WCW <laughs> and Vince Vegas, and then also uh, the Diamond Stud Scott Hall. You know, um, but uh, you know. Scott Hall is one of those guys that like, yeah, he never did win a world title in any of the companies that he competed in, but he was always a major player, and always like a a guy that drew a lot of fan interest, a lot of money, had great matches. Um, I wouldn't call him necessarily like, say, a revolutionary worker, but you talk to anybody that got in the ring with him, and I think he kind of uh, reminds me in a certain sense of how people speak of like, jake roberts or randy orton a guy that like understood the psychology of how to wrestle and was like this uh i wouldn't call him a mechanic but somebody that like could get greatness out of most guys you know um that seemed to be the reputation he had um amongst his peers and you know once he got to wwf and sort of uh developed that uh scarface knockoff character razor ramon and everything like that that's what really launched him to superstar him on the national stage and then obviously the history that he's a part of with nwo but i mean that even translates over to uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast probably uh, are aware many probably aren't aware that he had a long-standing relationship with uh new japan pro wrestling i mean he worked for them dating all the way back to the 80s and then you know did many many tours in the 80s and the 90s and then in the 2000s as well so i mean he had three decades of uh competition with uh new japan pro wrestling you know and was a big part of that uh nwo japan stable and then the t2000 stuff that kind of happened as well um even uh in the early days when he was still just Scott Hall before he even became Diamond Stud this is post awa um he had a a pretty lengthy tour where he uh, toward New Japan with who would become the Undertaker, but when he was wrestling back in the nine early '90s, late '80s as Punisher Dice Morgan, and they even had like a IWGP Tag Title um challenge against I want to say Hashimoto and Chono, or I can't remember who Hashimoto's partner was at the time, but uh yeah, I mean Scott Hall, he's a guy that just uh you know some of the greatest m- memories and moments of wrestling that I have, whether it's you know the latter match at wrestlemania 10 whether it's uh you know the uh him showing up on nitro in the denim jacket or the denim uh <laughs> uh vest and then you know telling everybody you know who i am but you don't know why i'm here <laughs> <laughs> and uh i just think uh he left a really indelible um mark on so many wrestling fans from that era a lot of people that are even you you see it kind of being poured out on social media a lot of people who don't even watch wrestling still are kind of heartbroken over the you know passing of him the, the one thing and I'll, I'll kick it over to you i'm happy though is that you know uh, that whole resurre- resurrection of jake the snake roberts uh documentary that came out of you know at this point it's almost 10 years ago that that kind of like was the genesis and, and, um, you know, regeneration of Scott Hall, where they brought him into DDP's, you know, um, house, I forget what it's called, the integrity crib or whatever, and helped him, you know, get fit again and helped him get off drugs and off the alcohol. And, you know, we even saw him kind of like make a resurgence and get into the hall of fame and clean up his life and, and, you know, um, spend a good decade with his friends doing what he loved to do and, you know do with do it with the fans i even saw him just as recently as last year's wrestlemania uh WrestleCon uh when i was working that event and very nice man so um yeah very saddened to hear about the passing of scott hall here
3: yeah really just sad and heartbreaking news you know 63 years old that's uh still you know pretty young you know, had could have had a more life to live um Yeah devastating loss to the wrestling world like you mentioned you know people in our you know age group our generation however you want to say it uh, Scott Hall slash Razor Ramon was definitely a a big influence I can always remember as a kid uh, you know doing the Razor Ramon walk you know down the hallway in school or (laughs) into a building like he was just so cool and everybody wanted to be like him and or you know, buying a pack of toothpicks just so you can you know <laughs> pretend to be him and put the toothpick in your mouth and you know I'd throw it at my little brother and get in trouble, uh, you know, and it's everything about him—the taunts, everything that he did was just so cool and uh, oozing of charisma. Such an influential guy in the business, like you mentioned, obviously you know jumping ship to WCW was such a, a big deal, and not you know what what is Razor doing on, on Nitro right now, it's like the whole you know creation of the nwo which led to the monday night wars and people jumping back and forth and yeah he's always will be one of my uh favorites growing up and like you mentioned you know maybe not the you know work rate as far as like moves kind of guy but just a very smart uh professional wrestler you know you hear a lot of people talking about uh going to him for advice on how to put matches together or you know some some stuff for their promos or how to get a certain move over, and he just, just, he just got it. He had that psychology down, and you saw that in the way he wrestled, his promos, and just how over he was in pretty much every promotion he was in. Like you mentioned, yeah, he was never the world champion, but it was just one of those situations where it's like he was so over a lot of times. Like He didn't necessarily need to be the world champ because he no. was already over. I mean, I know, I'm sure for him he wanted to be the world champ because – in his time, the the world championship was the most paid guy. Um, so for him, it was about you know getting that that paycheck. But ultimately, I'm sure Booker saw like, man, this guy is super over. Um, I don't really he doesn't need help getting more over. So I don't not gonna put the belt on him. Um, Dude, Scott Hall was getting paid like a world champion when he jumped in
2: 1996. <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm just thinking and, uh, more of like you know WWF where he's like asking Vince, you know, like you know what else can I do he's like do you like my matches he's like yeah they're great like all right what else can i do to get over how can i you know get the main event be the champ
2: yeah i was talking with rich about that today uh and we were talking about how like it was weird that they didn't let him turn heel in 95 wwf because it's like why wouldn't you if you kind of look at the landscape he needed it and they kind of needed it but i think they were kind of handicapping him a bit because you know, just the, the dire situation that they were kind of in already, you know, from a financial standpoint. Um, so yeah, it is kind of unfortunate. I think hindsight's 2020, but like you said, uh, you think about like the different, um, maneuvers. And I think about like working with my dad in the summers and like him setting up ladders and you better believe that I did the Machismo walk underneath the ladder. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like it was WrestleMania 10, or like I stood on top of the ladder with my arms stretched out, like I'm <laughs> fucking Razor <Riz and> Ramon.
3: <laughs> yeah, I still have WrestleMania 10 taped on a uh, v- v- uh, VHS in my uh, room.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, he uh, he's a very giving guy too. I mean, you you look at what he did for guys like Owen Hart. 123Kid and Hector Garza and Chris Jericho and DVP and, you know, even Tanahashi. A lot of people are not aware, but like, in 2001, Scott Hall um, had one of his final, you know, tours with New Japan. This is post WCW. And um, they were building to a major match between him and Kijimuto at the time. Um, and on the way to that build, they did a... a a squash match between Tanahashi and Scott Hall. And uh, at the time, we're talking about a Tanahashi who hasn't even been in the business for a year. Young lion status, essentially. And they did did an angle that was Scott Hall's idea. And in fact, the company didn't want to do the angle. They actually tried to talk Scott Hall out of doing the angle. But for whatever reason, he took a liking to Hiroshi Tanahashi who, like, wasn't necessarily, like, a golden boy at the point, at this point. You know what I mean? Like, he's still just a a guy that they're developing. And for whatever reason, he took a liking to Hiroshi Tanahashi, and he decided he wanted to do an angle. So they do a match. It goes, like, you can find it on YouTube. It goes about five minutes, maybe less. Yeah, I think it's uh, been floating around on Twitter
3: and the New Japan Reddit. Gotcha. He
2: pretty much just beats the piss out of Tanahashi. Hits him with the razor's edge. He's ready to go for the pinfall, but instead, he kind of gloats, He walks around the ring. He grabs a mic. They take some time getting it to him. He starts cutting a promo, and he's like, Mutokiji, if you ever end up in the ring with me, this is what's going to happen to you. And he points down at Tanahashi. Tanahashi fucking schoolboy's this man. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny, bro, when he's like, this is what will happen to you. Boom, scoop. One, two, three. This man... Does a job to Tanahashi, who hasn't even been in the business for a year, and um, you know, for uh, for a guy that's a attitude era slash new generation mark like Hiroshi Tanahashi was, that was like this huge, huge honor. I mean, we've talked on this podcast about how he idolized guys like Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall and that entire like click crew. So for one of those guys to take a shine to him and decide to put him over when he didn't have to, that was a big deal, and it really Endeared Scott to a lot of the, that current generation of Japanese, you know, talent at the time. So, and that was, you know, he did that time and time again in Puerto Rico and in WCW and in WWF everywhere he went.
3: Yeah, he was just so giving. Like he just tr- tr- truly helped those guys in building uh, careers. And it looks like they are starting to find some of his matches on uh, NJPW World and their uh, Pringles out. So uh, one that's on the front page right now, they have. Uh, Muto and the Steiner brothers against Chono, Nash, and Hall from uh, May 3rd, 1997 from Strong Style Evolution. That uh, kind of part of that, that whole NWO and NWO Japan. So yeah, definitely a lot of time in New Japan. I don't think a lot of people like he mentioned really knew about his time in New Japan. It's not really publicized a lot, or you don't really hear a ton of people talking about that part of his career. It's all, you know, WWF and WCW for the most part. But yeah, there's so much to his career. Like you mentioned, AWA, and even, you know, Meltzer was talking about going back to him being like Magnum, Scott Hall. There's like so much that he'd he done throughout the wrestling business.
2: Yeah, I recall those, um, those days, the AWA days. Obviously, I wasn't watching it live, but I mean, I've seen quite a few, quite a bit of uh, the tape of him and Kurt Henning uh, as AWA tag champions. I mean, it's kind of funny because he's just this like big, rugged you know, Southern cowboy archetype type wrestler, you know, cowboyism, like Adam <laughs> hangman page. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just kind of crazy, but, um uh, yeah, uh, very sad. Um, and, uh, you know, like we said, condolences go out to all his friends and family and all those affected by his loss. And, uh, you know, he won't be forgotten.
3: So uh, let's uh, shift gears now. We're actually going to start with uh, New Japan of America here because this weekend here in St. Petersburg slash Tampa, Florida, we have Strong Style Evolve, the next uh, set of tapings for New Japan Strong. And we are having a New Japan fan meet up that Sunday before the show at Overflow Brewing Company. Uh, you can Google that the address. There's a flyer going around with the address. Uh, we're planning on meeting there at 1:30 p.m. Sunday, March 20th, uh, before the show. It's about a you know a few minute, four or five minute walk, I believe, away from the venue. Come out, you know, all the social suplex guys will be there. I've been seeing a lot of people retweeting, a lot of people hitting me up saying that they're going to be there. So, come on out uh, Sundays. It's going to be before the card. We'll grab some drinks, have a good time, and just kind of get hyped up for this uh, big, strong style, evolved card.
2: Yeah. Let's make things very clear. This is not an official thing that we have, you know, like scheduled with, or like we didn't rent out the brewery, essentially. I talked to the people that run the brewery, told them the amount of people that are coming. They're cool with it, you know? But it's not like an official thing. We're not buying you guys drinks, okay? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, this is this is the, a buy your own drink kind of event.
2: Yeah, yeah. If you want to come in, you buy your own drinks, whatever. If you don't want to drink, have a water, whatever. But uh, this brewery is actually really, really, really cool. They got awesome like games and artwork, and the the drinks are really awesome, and they're not that expensive. And it's like you said, like a five minute walk from the venue. And you know, we're gonna chill there, hang out. Last time we did this when um strong style, or I don't even know, was it
3: no it was uh, New Beginning?
2: New beginning, yeah. When New Beginning tour was here a couple of years ago, we did something similar, had a great turnout, had a really, you know, awesome time with a bunch of different like-minded new Japan fans. And so, you know, we want you guys to come out, just hang out, very chill, and uh, you know, once we're done, we'll walk over to the Coliseum and we will watch what on paper. I think is a pretty awesome looking show, honestly.
3: Yeah, so we'll talk about the lineup right now, but one thing that got announced for the lineup last week, you know, normally these Jay White, uh, USJ Open challenges are kind of a mystery opponent, but we had somebody come out right out and answer the challenge before the show, and that would be one half of the Motor City Machine Guns' Chris Saban So, New Japan of America posted a video on Friday featuring Saban answering Jay White's ongoing use of Jay Open Challenge. He said, forget the surprises. I'm just going to tell you straight up right now. Jay, I accept your challenge. March 20th, New Japan Strong. Chris Saban versus Jay White. And there's actually been some story going on with these guys. So, uh, Jay White um, defeated Alex Shelley recently on, uh, I believe it was Sacrifice in Impact, Yeah, last Saturday's uh, Impact Sacrifice show. And uh, this week, the Machine Guns are back together. They'll be facing uh, Jay White and Chris Bay on this Thursday's Access TV. Also, Saban will be facing Jay White on Friday, April 1st at uh, Impact's WrestleCon show, The Multiverse of Matches. So a little, little program that's going to get kicked off here with uh, Jay White and Chris Saban.
2: Do we know if the Impact show is being like taped or aired on their streaming service or anything like that?
3: I would assume it is, because pretty much all the Impact shows, even like the Sacrifice one, which was a kind of a, just a Impact, I think, plus exclusive, all get streamed somehow. So I think there will be some kind of streaming for that multiverse of matches show.
2: Yeah, I got thrown off because I saw that they initially said that Saban was fighting uh, Jay on the 20th, but then I saw that they're also wrestling on April 1st. And I was like, did they get the dates wrong? Is Was... You know, the cat let out of the bag too early because it kind of seemed like um, I tried to find that tweet where the New Japan of America um, Twitter page released that they're fighting on the 20th and it looked like they got rid of it. So I'm wondering if they're still doing it or not.
3: Well, Um, I I saw a match graphic today with Saban and Jay White with the Strong Style Evolved match graphic. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So I wasn't
2: sure. So I'm glad that you. You know done a little more due diligence than i have <laughs> but um you know chris aben that's a guy that we uh have both kind of grown up on and seen him you know last time i think he competed in new japan was probably that super juniors tournament a few years ago so um look forward to seeing him kind of return to the cerulean blue yeah, So if I'm it sure. even is a cerulean blue mat like who <laughs> knows what the ring setup is going to be like in, in tampa i don't even know
3: yeah so yeah, so we got the Jay White versus Chris Saban match. We'll also have the strong open champion Tom Lawler defending against the wild Rhino Clark Connors. We'll have Finn Juice taking on Shane Haste and Jonah. Carl Fredericks taking on Josh Alexander, Ren Narita taking on Jay Lethal, Blake Christian taking on a Swerve Strickland, Mascara Dorada taking on TJP, Fred High and Daniel Garcia taking on Fred Rosser and Eddie Kingston. Buddy Matthews of the House of Black will be taking on Yuyi Yamora, Black Tiger and J.R. Cradles taking on Rocky Romero and Wheeler Utah of Chaos. John Schuyler taking on Big Damo. Andy Brown taking on Hikaleo. And opening up with some Young line action, we'll have Kevin Knight taking
2: on the DKC. Yeah, so this is a lot of matches for a taping like this. I've kind of compared and looked back, and I don't think they've done any other tapings um since they've gone to the live strong format that have this many matches um i am wondering if maybe some of these matches might become part of that uh i don't know that chris charlton act like special access show that they've done in the past because, I mean, yeah it seems like the extra too many yeah the extra because it seems like it's is too many to do like i mean they've got enough here to do like five episodes basically yeah, I'm
3: sure some will be yeah, the YouTube exclusive extra stuff, and then yeah, probably you know three or four weeks of TV with everything else.
2: The one thing I will say, uh, I don't think there's necessarily right. I mean, there's definitely some intriguing matches. So I'm not gonna, I'm not at all like diminishing what this is, but you know, we've had uh, some matches in the past that have been built up and advertised that were much bigger in stature and in name strength than any individual match on the show so from that respect i would kind of label this like a b level strong taping and i think it is kind of sandwiched in between you know two stronger uh you know strong taping destinations back to back that being said for a b level strong i don't think you could get much better than this because i mean look at there's like 13 or 14 matches and at least 10 of them have big big names that you know from around the wrestling industry whether it's swerve whether it's Jay lethal josh alexander tom lawler you know the list goes on and on um eddie kingston and i mean you've got guys literally from like impact roh mlw <laughs> you know gcw the indies aew uh, it's kind of crazy like how much of a melting pot this uh promotion has you know this like side promotion or you know under project has kind of become and yeah i mean and then when you even take into consideration that just aside from those 10 matches with the big names you also have a young lions match you also have what are probably effectively some um tryout matches for you know um up and coming like indie guys that kind of have a buzz in the local area with like wwn and stuff like that this is an awesome show. I, I actually can't think of a single show that I've seen personally live in the Florida, Tampa Bay area that are better than this on paper. And that includes any WWE show I've seen here. That includes any, like, Evolve, any FIP. That includes uh, anything I saw at WrestleMania weekend.
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean this is uh you said it's a really solid lineup up and down the card and yeah it pretty much you look at the the star power on this card yeah it definitely eclipses anything that we've seen um in that kind of local independent yeah even some of the major shows like you mentioned yeah, like when WWE comes to town you're not going to get a uh, caliber of this card and even if they do bring like a pay-per-view card here you're not going to get you know this this stacked of a card here with these matches these guys are going to go out here and kill it and this is going overall This card's
2: better than uh the last new japan show they did here now that one definitely had better like more domestic star names like tanahashi and stuff like that you know guys that you knew but uh putting that aside this is actually a much stronger card on paper i mean look how many singles matches we're getting
3: yeah ton of singles matches we're getting big stars we're getting you know aw's new signee and swerve we're getting aw's buddy matthews and eddie kingston we got uh, Josh Alexander coming back in to take on Fredericks. So you got Lethal in there from AEW also. Saban from Impact. Uh, you know Jay White's on fire right now with all the Bull Club stuff that's going on. There's just so much. We have the whole uh, the Shane Haste and Jonah coming back together. That storyline with them and juice. So that's been building for several weeks now. So that's going to be a, a heated grudge match. There's so much. Uh, you know, you got the even. Even the Rocky Romero Black
2: Tiger stuff that's been going on. There's, there's like stories that are here. Uh, and we'll even talk about it, but like the Dorada TJP match they set up this past week on Strong as well.
3: Yeah. You know, rematch from the Cruiserweight Classic finals in 2016.
2: So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, if, if, if this was a trash card, we would just say it. It's far from that. So if you're in the area, I highly recommend there's still a lot of tickets, uh, for sale. That's the one thing I don't think a lot of people are talking about. And I don't want to be too negative, but being honest, um, they haven't sold a lot of tickets for this thing. Like it's they've got like a, I don't know. I want to say like for the setup, I think it's still around like nine hundred to a thousand tickets like available, and I think they're set up for like a fifteen hundred seat setup. So I don't know how they're going to accommodate for that. Um, hopefully, as the time comes, they're making the You know, New Japan, that is, is making the proper uh, provisions to properly market the show in the area to the right, you know, fans and audience to kind of increase or, you know, hopefully there's a buzz that's going on, uh, you know, just amongst the local wrestling fandom because there is a wrestling scene out here. But, uh, you know, if you've got the time and you've got the money and you're in the area, I'd highly recommend you attend the show because you'll probably be kicking yourself if you miss this one.
3: Yeah, and we had a question here from a show, Zach, who will be out there for the show as well. He says, do you guys have a match you're looking forward to seeing at this weekend's Strong Solid
2: Ball show? You know, all of these matches are really awesome, and, I mean, there's a lot of things to be excited for, but I, I'm just going to go chalk on this one and say Tom Lawler against Clark Connors. You know, it's for the title. Um, they've been building to Clark Connors, kind of taking that step up against a guy like Tom Lawler for a long time. And every time Tom Waller defends the title, he knocks it out of the park. And I think uh, this is an awesome opportunity to kind of showcase Clark and maybe even coronate him. So, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to win that match, but that's got to be the one that I'm most excited for.
3: Yeah, that's going to be a very anticipated matchup. Uh, for me, another one that I'm looking forward to is uh, Jay White versus Chris Sabin. I've been a Chris Sabin mark for a long time. I don't think I've ever gotten to see him wrestle live. Um, so this will be a pretty cool opportunity to see him live and just see what's going on with this whole, you know, new bull club machine gun rivalry that's happening in Impact.
2: Nice. Well, let's uh, let's move on here. <laughs> yeah.
3: So this past Saturday we had night two of the Rivals Tour in Hollywood, California. Show opened up. We had uh, Hikaleo defeating Kevin Knight eighteen minutes and thirteen seconds. Uh, thought Kevin Knight looked really good here. Showed a lot of athleticism, a, a ton of fire, and uh, Hikaleo was uh, giving him a lot here. But ultimately got uh, cut off and ended with a choke slam.
2: Good match um, for both guys. Uh, I thought Kev- I thought that Kevin Knight had a really awesome um, comeback sequence towards the tail end of the match. And then I don't remember what it was Hikaleo did, but there was some move that he hit Kevin Knight with at the very tail end, right before he finished it. That like. It looked like he knocked the soul out of him. It, nice it was body.
3: a chop. He, he ran into a chop of Hikaleo's.
2: Oh, it was an overhand chop. He was yeah. like in the air and he, he killed him with it. It was so awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah, like the sweat, his sweat just like flew and he just like died from it. It was awesome.
2: I think it is going to be interesting going forward to kind of see where Hikaleo aligns with what's going on with Bullet Club. I'll just throw that out there.
3: Definitely. And we'll talk about that uh, some more here in a second. Uh, second match, we had Kevin Blackwood making his strong debut. He defeated Arya Davari. And you know, we had the whole story here of Davari trying to uh, play it clean. And he tried to do that. And once again, kind of backfired when he you know, went for the chair and decided not to do it. And that, that cost him the match there. And we had the post match beat down, letting out his uh, frustrations.
2: Yeah, so you know they've been telling this story for a bit here about Arya Devary being conflicted, trying to go the right way, and it looks like his uh, you know, um, natural tendencies got the better of him here, and he his true nature came to light. Unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of people talking about Kevin Blackwood here. I thought he was good. I've heard uh, I've heard that he's kind of been labeled as one of the uh, pillar killers in AEW. Um, I don't know if he's been featured a bit on like dark. Is, is that where they, cause I haven't seen him on any of the proper shows.
3: Yeah. I mean, he, he was on dark a lot during the pandemic, but lately he's done a ton of indie stuff with Daniel Garcia and Utah and uh, some of those guys.
2: Gotcha. You know, um, this was my only exposure to him and I thought the match was good. I don't think it was enough for me to make a proper assessment of him personally. Um, you know, uh, so I'll just kind of leave it at that. I, I I've seen, I've heard glowing things about him, and I've heard very negative things about him, and I'm I'm kind of still on the fence when it comes to Kevin Blackwood.
3: Yeah, I'm kind of there too. I mean, his stuff on Dark has been more mainly squash matches, so not a lot for him to really show there. And then this match, I, I thought he was fine. Also, I think it was more about Devari and his story. So. And it was right. kind of the middle of the, the mid card match. Got not a ton of time here. They got you know, almost nine minutes. Um, so definitely um, open to seeing more from him. Uh, if but, there
2: was one uh, thing, I will say, I like I liked his strikes. Mm, yes. Yeah, I thought, he had, I thought he had some pretty good kicks.
3: Uh, we had a question here about its look from uh, Fit Beautiful Two Six Three Eight. Says we make fun of Doki's bad look all the time, but did you see Blackwood's debut on Strong? Is his pink mohawk and body covered with bad tattoos look? Several of which are blacked out, like he has had a tattoo over to cover up uh, gang tattoos or ex-girlfriend or something. Worse than Doki's. Who wins the ugly stick award for NJPW? <laughs> That's funny.
2: I like how he said we make fun of Doki's bad look all the time, but like I've never heard fit beautiful make fun of doki so i think what he's doing there is speaking about the podcast as we as though <laughs> he is part of it which which i appreciate because that's i do that with new japan i don't work for new japan they don't cut me a check you know what i mean like but i'll be like man we really got to get it together this company's not doing so hot <laughs> so I, I appreciate anytime someone um you know speaks with ownership when it comes to keeping a strong style <laughs> us us um but yeah i mean i don't know um i didn't think that he had like a a killer look but you know i don't think any of the aesthetics were really you know i wasn't too far down on them i don't know like to to me he just kind of honestly looked like a guy
3: yeah i mean he just kind of looked like an indie guy you would see any weekend on an indie show
2: yeah and and that's not to say like negative or positive that's just that's the deal
3: um So, yeah. So then we go to the main event of the show, the USOJ Open Challenge. And it was answered by Swerve, the realist Strickland, making his uh, strong debut. uh, Getting the match, Jay, before the match, Dark Jay tries to get Swerve to join the Bullet Club and throw up a two-sweet and not have a match, but uh, ended up eating a boot to the face. And then we got a really great match from there.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure I would want to see uh, Swerve as a member of the Bullet Club necessarily, but uh, I thought this, this match was really, really, really good. Um, in my opinion, it might be the most uh, impressive Jay White match that I've personally seen since, say, like, the Freddie A. High match. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you know, and I haven't seen all of Jay's work in Impact, Um, I will say that I've heard some really good things about the match with, like, Alex Shelley and, like, uh, Eric Young. So, you know, uh, from our reports, he's doing really well. But I I definitely liked this more than the Christopher Daniels match. I liked it more than the Jay Lethal match as well, which I thought was really good. So, uh, him and Swerve went out there, and I thought that they really, you know, for just over 15 minutes, kind of tore the house down and, you know, worked really well together. Jay's chops, man. He was light and swerve up here and um you know he got kind of taken to his limit he had to like reach into his bag of tricks and uh got the win over swerve but i i wouldn't be opposed to seeing Swerve come back to new japan. well we're gonna see him obviously here on sunday but uh you know i wouldn't be opposed to him continuing to work for new japan like long term
3: yeah he did mention you know in, in an interview that he initially reached out to will osprey when his contract was up and will was trying to get him over to New Japan, so yeah, hopefully uh, we, we can mention we, we got him on Strong on Saturday or on Sunday against Blake Christian, but um, we ha- we have been seeing AEW guys continue to work strong, so I'm hoping he will be one of those guys that will get to continue to work strong. And then once the borders open up, definitely sounds like there's interest for him to go to Japan. So that would be cool to see him in like a G1 or some kind of a uh, big matchup show.
2: But, hey, I'll put it to you this way. If you missed this match, I give it a big recommendation. It was better than most of the singles matches we've seen in the New Japan Cup this year. So,
3: Yeah. Um, and then next week, we'll have night three of the Rivals Tour main event. House of Blacks, Buddy Matthews will take on Ren Narita. Bullet Club's Chris Bay will take on Blake Christian. And then we'll have opener of Keita Murray, Freddie A. High, and the DKC Versus Stray Dog Army of Bateman, Mysterioso, and Barrett Brown. So now nice. let's uh, jump into New Japan Cup action. So we left off. Well,
2: you know, Jeremy, this is what I'd like to do. Okay. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of, like, there's just so many, like, preview tags on the undercards. Instead of running down the winners of all those, um and then trying to figure out which ones had the different angles that we need to discuss. Why don't we just have a general discussion on the stories and the angles that we've kind of been seeing playing out on those undercards, and then just talk about the, you know, um, tournament matches.
3: Yeah. So I guess the, the the main story that's been happening on all the undercard matches is what's going on with Bullet Club. We've had several Bullet Club multi-man, multi-man matches on these nights, and... Of course, Kevin Kelly's playing it up on commentary, what's going on. We've had several promos backstage with Gato, telling all these Bull guys, you know, they need to pick the right side, they need to pick Jay White's side, you know, they need to throw the two-suite up, don't throw it down. So we saw a lot of people kind of debating on whether they're throwing it up or whether they're throwing it down and all these uh, multi-man matches.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of been what's been playing out over this whole time. And, you know, the interesting thing is, like, this is all stemming from the angle that we discussed the other week where jay white turned on god at an impact you know premium live event (laughs) as they're called (laughs) and um you know kind of reintroduced the good brothers back into the bull club and sort of ousted god or at least that's what he was claiming to have done and all the newspapers are saying like no new japan's not you know they're not out of the bullet club it's just kind of caused a rift and it still needs to play out and this whole time like jay's in america he's not in japan so he hasn't really been there to advocate gato's kind of been acting as his mouthpiece sort of applying the pressure to all the different uh, bull club members letting them know like you mentioned what they need to do in the same respect we haven't really seen god back in japan they've been in america as well and later on in the tour they finally arrive and that sort of sets up the uh, you know the kind of like ultimate showdown for what what is everybody going to do when it comes to Tama and Tangaloa um, you know and their allegiance are they going to side with Jay or are they going to side with you know Bullet Club OG Tama Tonga? It's you know
3: right there's also a choice to be made there and also you know I think a lot of people are interested on like what are guys like Bad Luck Fale and Chase going to do especially Fale also, uh, being a Tongan and just kind of being one of the core four of bull club with Tamatonga, what he what he side with them, you know, we saw in the and his
2: literal cousin, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we saw in,
3: in the first bull club civil war. And obviously, he was kind of on the the firing squad side of things, uh, so that was a, a debate there, and uh, just a lot of back and forth. What's going to happen here? And then also, you know, House of Torture, like we've been talking about for months now, has felt like its own entity. Doesn't really feel like Bullet Club, well, this is the first time we were starting to see through these undercards some House of Torture guys starting to team back up with uh, regular Bullet Club guys. Like We saw Gato and Cho on night four. Uh, there were some nights where Yujiro teamed with some of the Bullet Club guys. So we started seeing those guys kind of make their way, kind of intermingle with some of these other Bullet Club guys. But a lot of people thought, you know, maybe Evil would have his own kind of side of this. Maybe it's picking between Jay, Evil, and Tama. Um, but right. ultimately it was, we found out, really just a choice between Jay and Tama. Right,
2: and some of those other kind of lingering uh, threads could still play out later on. We saw that occur the last time they tried to do a story like this, like what are the Tongans going to do? Well, we found out much later. I feel like the House of Torture is sort of in a similar spot, but like you mentioned, they did start teaming with uh, Bull Club proper members for the first time in a long time, so that kind of put the kibosh on... Some of the talk amongst uh, New Japan fans, where they're like, "House of Torture is not Bullet Club." Well, they're very clearly Bullet Club, just as Kotobushi used to be part of the Bullet Club when he was teaming with Chase Owens and
0: Yujiro all that time. Back in the day, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man.
2: Um, but speaking of that, another thing that's been playing out um, on the undercard. So, um, during the anniversary show we saw a multi-man tag team match where uh, the reigning IWGP junior heavyweight champion, Desperado, was on the losing side of a tag team match to the Stronghearts. And so I think a lot of people were kind of like gearing up like, oh shit, this is going to lead to like him and L Lindemann or him and T-Hawk. You know, they've been building to this. But then comes to find out later on in this tour, it's just show. Show decided to, uh, during one of the night's attack, uh, freaking Desperado and then for the rest of the tour he's just kind of been doing that periodically every couple nights you know whether it's attacking him with the belt or attacking him before a match or after a match with the wrench what what have you but he's made his um, intentions very clear that he, he wants a shot at the title he wants to be next in line and it looks like that's what we're getting is a not show but a house of torture bullshit show versus reigning champion Desperado
3: yeah, I was not very excited when I saw that on the uh, night six show, if, uh show making the attack and holding up the belt. And like you mentioned, we've been seeing that all throughout the rest of the tour now. These guys are in multi-man, so are jumping each other. Um, yeah, we're going to get this yeah, house, house of torture show against Despy. And we've talked about sometimes Despy, well, wrestled down to the level of the guy he's in there with. And so, obviously, shows going to be doing a lot of shenanigans. So Suzuki Gun in the past has done a lot of again, So we're probably going to get... Both Of these guys trying to out cheat each other are probably gonna get run ins from both how the to torture and going in this match, and, I, and I'm not really told about it.
2: One last uh story, and uh, unless I'm missing anything here, but uh, you know, the one thing that we haven't really seen play out just yet, but there have been a lot of teases and allusions to it during the tour and during their multi man match, uh, matches are whether or not we're going to see members of the United Empire compete against one another in the New Japan Cup. Now, um, Jeff Cobb is obviously sort of precluded from this since he's on the left side of the bracket, and unless he makes it to the final against another member, that seems unlikely. But as of right now, it still seems that it's possible that we could be getting um, Will Ospreay versus the Great O'Conn um, i'm not confident that that's exactly what's going to play out but they've been teasing that quite a bit in the commentary and sort of the post matches there's just a little bit even though they're cohesive it's a little bit of tension there and we're kind of, i guess we'll find out here on the next night what's going to happen as far as those guys go but uh you know for the time being that's sort of the thing that they've been teasing
3: yeah uh one other thing that started getting teased out on today's show it looks like we have new challengers for the junior tag titles so on today's show there was an opening tag with um Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori taking on uh Wato and uh I think it was Fujita um they had a, a opening tag match where uh, Bull Club, they won, and then they attacked Wato afterward. Taguchi ran down and made the save, and ELP and Taiji made it very clear that they uh, want a shot at the tag team titles.
2: Yeah, full disclosure, I've kind of just been, like, hopping around when it comes to the... So, for the undercards, I've kind of watched it all, but, like, I've watched it on, like, hyper speed, So, like... <laughs> <laughs> If I missed something, you know, but well, uh, well to be know.
3: completely honest, like for most of the undercard stuff that I pay attention to was the bull club stuff and pretty much all the preview matches. I kind of fast forwarded just to the finishes. Uh, That's pretty
2: much what I've been doing. And I mean, dude, you can't really fault anybody for doing that. Look how many subsequent shows they've done in successive order night after night after night. I mean, this is a lot for anybody. To, this is more than most G1s.
3: Yeah, especially this uh this past week a stretch we're like in the middle of like a eight week eight day like a run show that they're doing here uh just yeah, every day it's matches and then you have like maybe two or three tournament matches chock full of all these uh preview matches.
2: Well, with that being the case, um, we'll talk about the the actual tournament matches here in a minute. But one thing I just wanted to point out, um, we ca- you know this wasn't like a secret. We did the preview. Um, a few weeks ago kind of talking about what to expect from this tournament but seeing it play out in real time has been a little jarring did you hear that that rumble yeah Yeah. there's this giant lightning and then I, I didn't hear any thunder it's not raining here at all and then you know super delay there's a <laughs> some thunder out there so but uh, anyways um, but seeing it play out in real time has been a little jarring just because man I mean you know you got a lot of uh New Japan cup matches that are filled filled with guys that are competent, but I mean not really like blow away matches that really get you excited there have been very few surprises or upsets and uh, most of the tournament has gone completely chalk and that's to be expected considering how many dads how many juniors how many young Lions were involved in this tournament and then um you know you kind of see the undercards and I mean it's not that they didn't always, you know, it's New Japan. They always have preview tags and stuff like that. But because the the tour is so lengthy, considering that they had five rounds of New Japan Cup, it really kind of exposes, you know, how sort of shallow the storytelling is right now, just because so much of it is centered on the tournament. And the tournament is breath of, you know, compelling storylines and compelling matches it just kind of waters down what could have been a really good new japan cup if you did it with like say 16 guys instead of 48 guys
3: right yeah and i get it's the 50th year anniversary they're trying to do the biggest new japan cup ever and also in, in a non-covid world uh, with the the amount of talent that could have brought in to potentially fill out the 48 spots we probably could have gotten a great 48-man tournament that way, but with COVID and the restrictions and who we got, uh, I think they should have, you know, just like you mentioned, still gone on to 16, even if they did 32. I mean, there's a lot of guys that could have been trimmed out of this to to enhance the tournament, and even just uh, some match placement, I feel like there was just a lot of first-round matchups that were just kind of there, or, or I feel like there could have been some more intriguing matchups in, in the opening of the tournament.
2: Well, I feel like this tournament is very uh, representative of a lot of the issues that we're seeing in New Japan right now. So, I mean, you know, um, there's so many shows because they're trying to draw as much money as they possibly can to recoup their losses over this pandemic era. And so that's something we've seen the past few years when it comes to New Japan. And that's totally on display when it comes to, uh, you know, the New Japan Cup uh, layout that they have here. And then at the same time, there's not a lot of. Major ongoing feuds. They're much more like short, contained stories because that's what they're required to do because the threat of COVID is always still kind of looming around the corner, um, even though it looks like we're kind of getting out of the weeds with that. And you can kind of see that represented here in the booking. And then look at how much House of Torture and how, bro, even Bull Club is because Bull Club is sort of realigning with House of Torture, it's becoming more um, just bullshit laden in their matches so i mean and your your undercard tags typically have at least two bullet club matches every night if some of those guys aren't also in the tournament and so you're just seeing so much togoism um some nights there's even like three you know bullet club matches so i mean that's you're seeing that on full display here too so it's not like even if you just turned on the show and you just wanted those undercard matches to be like kind of fun fast paced, you know, um whatever, you know, New Japan style tag team matches. Instead you're getting two to three bullet club bullshit matches, you're like, fuck, why do I want to watch that? You know what I mean? Right. So I mean there's just so much here on on. And then at the very end, we're getting to the point now to where like we've had a few great matches. We had a lot of mid matches. The tail end of this tournament's probably gonna be full of classics. And how many like major pay-per-views of New Japan have been like that? Like the undercard of the show kind of sucked. There's some good stuff in the middle and then at the top of the card they still blow it out of the water and people point to that and they're like the company's doing great. <laughs> and then other people are like but look at this shit in the middle.
3: Right, yeah. Look at all all stuff that happened before that great match.
2: You know, and then we're here and then we're here on this podcast being like offending everybody cuz we're like it's still great, but it kind of sucks. But it's still great, but it also <laughs> sucks. And we have to call all of it out, you know? Right.
3: <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Just so much going on and you know, hopefully there is some news that kind of feels like things might be turning the corner finally and maybe we'll finally at least getting some, as far as getting people in, I haven't really heard much about uh, fans being allowed to clap again or make noise again so hopefully that's around the
2: corner as well. Well, let's get into the actual tournament matches here and I mean, I I gotta tell you, Jeremy, there's a lot of these matches that I watched them in full but I I don't have a lot of I'll tell you the ones I got thoughts on. I'll tell you the ones that I just thought were whatever, you know, because yeah. there's, there's a
3: lot of them. <laughs> yeah, same here. So, yeah, we'll start here with uh, night four. We had three second-round matches. Uh, first was Hiroki Goto defeating Dick Togo, 9 minutes and 50 seconds.
2: Yeah, see, this is a shining example. Uh, it's Goto versus Dick Togo, and it's like, it, it, I will say this: If Dick Togo was a, if Dick Togo was allowed to go out there and perform to the level of his current capabilities would allow him to, this could have actually been a really fun, really awesome match. Instead, we got Stooge Dick Togo with the Groat wire, and it's it's you know the same thing as watching a Giotto or a Ghetto match, which in, in singles, which you don't want to see. And we've gotten too much of that in this cup, and this is another example. So. You know, Goto got past him. Everyone knew he would. And the match was bogged down with all the Togoism. It's up.
3: Yeah, I mean, not much more, more to add. Like, if you close your eyes and picture a Goto versus Dick Togo match, that's what you got. Goto gets to win Ushigeroshi and moves on. Actually, no, he used that um, that armbar gimmick that he's been using that he won the New Japan Cup with uh, back in the day. I will
2: say that. Um, Godo's been introducing a lot of new moves to his arsenal recently, like a new pinfall and a new like submission. But at the same time, isn't that his whole career? Isn't this a guy that just always comes up with instead of like having one really devastating move that's super over, like say a one winged angel, for instance? goto's had like five finishers in like a decade, and I can't remember all of them.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had no idea that this arm bar was something he used uh, in the past. But, yeah, he used it in previous New Japan Cups. Um, so, yeah, he got the tap-out victory.
2: Over yeah, the I, think he, I think he beat Tanahashi with that in the first one, if I recall, yeah. back in, like, 2012.
3: Yeah. Uh, so then after that, we had Shima defeating Yoshinobu Kanemaru, 14 minutes and 46 seconds. I will say this.
2: I really like this match. Um, it wasn't, like, low or anything like that, but I thought Kanemaru and Shima worked this is kind of how i felt about most of shima's matches in this tournament none of them have been like out of this world but they just put him in there with like really good hands guys that he can just go out there and like kind of kill it with and they're all hitting this like three and a half star mark where you know they're really good matches for what they are
3: yeah his matches have been really fun to watch and like, like we talked about last week of chris like there just seems to be a different like energy and atmosphere Anytime Shima and his Strong Hearts come out, and the crowd—it's uh, really behind them. I um, know it's kind of hard to tell without the cheering, but just the way they're clapping and even some of like the vocal noise they're making when people kind of oohing and with some of the stuff that Shima does—he uh, definitely has captured the audience's attention. And yeah, his matches have always been uh, fun to watch, and it's exciting to see him getting this far and getting pretty deep into the tournament.
2: Yeah, and um, I'll, I'll also say this before we move forward: I'm like. 52 and 1 when it comes to my New Japan Cup prediction. So, um, I gotta be close to the leader of that tournament or the uh, <laughs> the sport of pro wrestling prediction contest right now. Yeah, I haven't
3: uh checked the rankings lately, but I know you were the last time I looked a couple days ago, you were one of the people that were kind of in that thing that either that top 10 or like top 15 list. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, the main event of this evening, uh, the last uh, second round match for this evening, was Kazuchika Okada, the champ, the rainmaker, defeating Master Wato, eighteen minutes and thirty-four
2: seconds. So this match was fine. I'll, I'll say this: um, I've been a little disappointed in Wato the last two big matches he had, this one, and then also the match with Desperado, in it. Now he's definitely much improved over where he was when he first returned from excursion and everything like that, but that's two really really big opportunities. And I mean he's not he's not like wrestling like say a dope like if you put Doki in these spots, he would have fucking killed it. You know what I'm saying?
3: Right, he would have jacked Okada up.
2: Right, but instead there's sort of like a complacency I think to to the match. And one thing I noticed was, um. I do think Watto tried hard, and if you want my hot take, I don't think this match was much different from De- the Desperado match. Mm. Other other than, obviously, the Desperado match had a really, really incredible finish, but, you know, Okada gave a lot to, Des- to Watto, just like he did Desperado, but the difference was the crowd fell completely silent for everything Watto did, and the crowd was living and breathing with Desperado earlier in the tournament. I think a lot of that just comes down to, like, credibility and believability. I don't think it's all down to Wato not, you know, having it or not, like, performing to the best of his abilities. But I kind of noticed as the match continued and the, the, the crowd just got quieter and quieter, that his confidence just diminished even more so as the <laughs> match went on. And uh, I felt bad for the guy because I felt like he was wrestling fine. Not, like, blow away, but he was wrestling fine. But nobody believed blue Hair Watto was going to beat Okada. Like, nobody. And that's kind of the issue with a tournament like this with the way it's
0: laid out.
3: Right, especially, you know, coming to the second round. Like this should not be a second round matchup and especially a uh, a main event of a show here. Uh, for me, I don't know, I kind of felt like Okada was kind of sleepwalking his way uh, through this match. Like... Yeah. Um, like, I'll see he, he was wrestling, you know, everything was, mechanics were fine, there was no boxers or anything, but I didn't feel like he was going all out. Like I felt in the Despy match, he was, it was uh, a different level. He was going all out. He was, you know, giving that traditional new Japan, Okada main event style. And here, he was just kind of sleepwalking his way through, kind of going through the motions and, you know, just had a, a fine, like gentleman's three style matchup here with Wato.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, and then I have to imagine the crowd, them not reacting, you know, as a performer, I'm sure he feeds off that too yeah you know um one thing i will say though um you said that this shouldn't be a second round match and i agree with you the one thing that would have made it something where it's like oh ghetto was brilliant in booking this is if wato had stepped outside of his comfort zone and really given this guy a match that people could talk about afterwards you know what i mean because then you're like oh they're giving guys fresh opportunities and they're making the most of it and you know that kind of like for instance uh Kuroo, the first time he was in the New Japan Cup, we were just raving about all the awesome matches he was having during that tournament two years ago. You didn't, you didn't get this, get that with Watto here, you know?
3: Right, yeah. He's been given these opportunities, like you mentioned, and has has just not been knocking them out of the park. Like he's, his wrestling is fine; he's it's gotten better from his debut. But yeah, you're 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 handed over here at a main event with the world champ with Okada, the, the Golden Boy. And you're, you know, nobody's talking about this match at all.
2: At all. Except for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: so we did have a couple questions here. Uh, the Dark Soldier asked, Okada, he said, Okada straight up, punked at Watto, not covering him, and basically saying, I expected better. He's supposed to be a babyface. What an asshole.
2: I don't even know what he's talking about. Did he not cover him at some point?
3: Uh, I'm trying to remember the finish. Of the match here, did he like put his foot on him? I can't remember now exactly.
2: Dude, I don't remember.
3: I yeah, I don't remember the finish exactly how he he pinned him here, but I'm sure it was something that was disrespectful. <laughs> um, and then uh, Ethan Black here has a a joke question. He says, "Since Okada beat Desperado and Wato, does he get a shot at their titles?" Too tall. <laughs> uh. Uh, So let's uh, move on here to night five. So we once again had uh, some more second round matches here, four matches this night. So the first match we had Yoshihashi defeating Kosei Fujita, nine minutes and 20 seconds.
2: Good match. Fujita, you know, did as much as could be expected from a young lion, as green as he is at, you know, nine minutes in a New Japan cup. Yoshihashi got him out of there.
3: Yeah, nothing much more to add there. I thought Vegeta uh, looked good and, you know, good win here for Yoshihashi. So uh, following that, we had Tetsuya Naito defeating Gato at 14 minutes and 18
2: seconds. This went far, far too long. Very similar to what I said earlier about the uh, Dick Togo match, but it's even worse because it's Gato and Naito. And, uh, yeah, I, I this, is, this is probably the worst match of the tournament, maybe, or if not, one of them.
3: Yeah, this went way, way too long, especially for the style of match that Gato wrestles where it's a lot of him talking, there's a lot of shenanigans, there's a lot of ref bumps, there's a lot of, you know, trying to get the brass knuckles and low blows and interference and all that stuff and all that just for, you know, Naito to have to try and overcome him when it's like we all know Naito's going to win. Make it uh, quick and painless, but they didn't do that here. Went through all the, the Dog and Pony show, and then Naito eventually uh, beat Gato. So uh, following that, we had inside my main event spot, we had Jeff Cobb defeating my man, Satoshi Kojima, 15 minutes and 36 seconds.
2: This was fine. Um, this is probably the match of the night. I would have probably gone like three and a half on it. Um, they've been giving Jeff Cobb quite an awesome run through the tournament. Um and i felt like kojima uh you know did everything in his power to really have a good compelling match with cobb um i feel like i've seen them wrestle before and had a bet maybe like in last year's new japan cup it, i think they might have had a better match but this one was uh and didn't they just wrestle recently too uh I remember. no that was kojima okan yeah yeah but in either case um I liked the finish where, you know, Kojima's, you know, you know, setting up the Lariat and everything like that and kind of getting people to sort of second guess whether or not he pulled upset on Cobb. But uh, you know, unfortunately Cobb, you know, puts him away. Uh, very, very awkward tour of the islands. I think I don't know what the miscommunication was there. But um, uh, you know, they went out there, they had a match. I I don't think it was blow away or anything, but uh it's you know, probably the match of the night, I guess.
3: Yeah, I also went three and a half on this match. I thought Kojima uh, looked really good here and was uh, bringing it to Cobb. It was his uh, he did a nasty DT to Cobb on the apron. Um, and Cobb, like, spiked himself, looked really good for uh, for that. Um, yeah, uh, Kojima was kind of bringing it to Cobb, and we hadn't had any upset yet. So, like you mentioned, uh, it was kind of, could be believable that an upset could happen. And Kojima was going for that uh, big lariat towards the end there. And like you mentioned, Cobb caught him, but he caught him awkwardly, but still was able to hit him with the uh, tour of the islands and get the win here. So then the main event of the show, last second round match for this show, was the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, defeating Bad Luck Fale with Chase Owens at 15 minutes and one second. And something that did happen on one of the preview matches uh, was Fale hitting a drop kick to Tanahashi's knee. Uh, which was kind of the story here of this match with uh, Fale targeting the damaged knee of Tanahashi.
2: Oh, no. Someone picks a body part of Hiroshi Tanahashi and, and uh, exploits it? I've never seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it doesn't matter what you target. Neck, uh, that's a good target. Knees, great targets. Biceps, go for it. Back, sure. <laughs> like, I, this guy doesn't have any part of his body that's not, like, in bad shape, you know? <laughs> right but um this is the one black mark uh on my uh prediction contest because you know i got too cute with it and i figured someone's got to get upset and i figured there's no way they're going to do tanahashi and you know naito on the third round of the tournament or whatever but i was wrong (laughs) and uh it doesn't matter how good bad luck quality's uh dojo show is or how much weight he's lost, or how much this tournament probably needed a a big surprise upset, he was not able to take out Tanahashi's knees, he was not able to overwhelm him with battering offense, and ultimately Tanahashi was able to get past Badluck Fale once again, 15 minutes, one second.
3: Yeah, that was, even for me, that was kind of a surprise, I also had uh, Fale winning, and we know that Fale has beaten Tanahashi before in the past, and it seemed like it made sense of uh, Fale kind of coming in, all the bull club stuff uh going in, and then even the whole angle the night before of him uh putting the attack on Tanahashi's leg. It seems like you could have done a little bit of something here with uh, Fale, but uh, Tanahashi was able to uh roll up Fale at the, at the end of the matchup here and uh, get the win, knocking uh, Fale out of the tournament. So, kind of a surprising win because I feel like a lot of other people had. Fale also, like you mentioned, there weren't many upsets, and so I think a lot of people had falle kind of circled for the quote-unquote upset win here and to, to move on. And we did have a question here from Les Commission 7252. says, after watching and hearing Chase Owens on commentary with Kelly Kev- Kevin Kelly, is he better than Fantasmo when he was on commentary with Kevin Kelly last year? Um, I don't know if I would say Chase was better than ELP, but I thought Chase was very good. I was popping for a lot of the stuff Chase was saying, and I think he's really good at commentary.
2: Yeah, I, I can't remember. I don't feel like this is the first time Chase Owens has been on commentary with Kevin Kelly. No, he's um, he's definitely done it before. But I felt like he's gotten better at it. Um, if you know, even though I don't totally recall him being called before um he did a really great job here i don't know if he's better than Phantasma. Uh Phantasma really took to it like fish to water so
3: yeah but chase had all, a ton of one-liners that were popping me in it it's kind of, sort of reminding me of uh bobby heenan you have you know kevin kelly like being a straight man and then somebody that's just kind of throwing these these one-liners and comments and jokes out and it was just uh, it was pretty entertaining yeah jerry lawler you know yeah
2: And, you
3: know, him and Jerry Lawler might have something in common, you know? Oh, boy. So, moving on to night six, March 12th. Uh, We had uh, more second-round action. The first tournament match was Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Doki, 15 minutes and three seconds. And uh, the night before, there was a preview match where, uh, after the match, uh, Doki attacked Sabre. He, He got the pipe, swung at Sabre. Did a Hurricane Rana through Sabre out the ring and was a teasing a dive on him. And then we even saw here in the beginning of this match, Doki was all, all fired up and didn't care that he was in the same faction as this man. He wanted to show this man that he is not going back to Mexico. Yeah,
2: that takes precedence. You know, number one priority, never going back to Mexico. Number two priority, Suzuki-gun, you know, allegiance, basically. It goes in that order. Yes. <laughs> But um yeah you know I will say this um because I didn't get to do the review for the first few um, weeks of the tournament with you guys so you know I, I I haven't I never gave my thoughts on like say you know Desperado and um, Okada or Ishii and Shingo that sort of thing but uh from this stretch of shows that we're recording or that we're reviewing here this has gotta be one of my most recommended matches of, of the stretch. Now, I'm not gonna go overboard and say, you know, this was a classic on some sort of like mythical level, but for what it was, this is the kind of thing that you like to see from a New Japan Cup match. It's a guy who is isn't no-hoper in Doki. Get it, you know, don't get it twisted. He, he has no shot at being Zack Sabre Jr. Being a junior, being a very lowly slotted junior, obviously. And it doesn't really matter. He, still went out there and was like i'm gonna make the most of this opportunity and really showcase what i can do and they went out there and they had like an awesome awesome match for for a 15 minute junior versus heavyweight interfactional match i mean dude like what i really loved about it was doki doing so many things to zach that we haven't really seen a lot of other people do because we haven't gotten to see zach wrestle a lot of high flyers or or junior guys, and Doki is kind of a a more unconventional style, you know, he's sort of like a grimier, um, you know, lucha uh, style wrestler, and so he went out there and did a lot of things that like Zack's character didn't necessarily, he wasn't prepared for, he wasn't expecting, really got him off of his game, put him out of his, uh, you know, comfort zone, and then um, a lot of the Yahweh style of doki as well and kind of showcasing what he learned there on the you know on the dirt floors in tijuana <laughs> and that was sort of his undoing where zach was able to kind of counter a lot of that yave and kind of gain the upper hand and um but they they went out there and they had a banger um i'm probably like three and three quarters four stars maybe more i i don't know if someone if someone told me they're like four and a quarter on this I, maybe that's too high but like it, damn it was really fucking good and I like the finish. One thing I've noticed with Zach, um, he's doing a lot of different moves and a lot of different finishers that we have. And he's done this in the past, but like, you know, it feels like the last time where he was really just unleashing a lot of new killer moves was the last time he won the New Japan Cup. And it does get me wondering as we're seeing things unfold, you know, is he going to go further in this tournament than I originally expected? But, um, Man, he went out there, and I think him
3: and Doki, like, they had an awesome match this night. Yeah, I uh, really enjoyed this matchup, too. I think I went four stars flat on it. Um, just a, an awesome matchup. You know, you talk about guys who get opportunities. Doki, every time he gets an opportunity, he kills it, whether it's him facing off a of Hiromu, being in the Super Juniors, um, getting a shot here in the New Japan Cup. Also, everybody pretty much he mentioned thought that Sabre was going to get through Doki here, but this was a very compelling match starting with the angle the previous night with Doki showing that he wants to bring the fight to Sabre. And then, you know, uh, Doki jumping Sabre during his entrance for this match. And just the, the back and forth, like he mentioned, the, the high flying, this Doki was like a, a man possessed, just kind of throwing everything he could at Sabre. Um, and then every time he would get a, a ton of momentum, Sabre would eventually find a way to cut him off with a submission, but then Doki would fight its way out and continue to uh, fight back. And uh, the the Italian stretch, I think number thirty two it is, or what uh called the Doki Choki, uh, Doki tried to use a couple times, but obviously Saber, being the submission master, wasn't going to let uh, Doki uh, tap him out, and was able to eventually get in the Cremation Lily, which is that that Stump Puller maneuver that he used to defeat uh, Juice in the G one.
2: Yeah, this almost looked a little different than that even. But, yeah, that's the first thing I thought when I saw it. And I was like, damn, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, we had a question
3: here from the Dark Soldier. He says, Doki handled himself pretty well against Zach recently and against Tai Chi earlier in the year. If he can handle the former tag team champs, can Doki handle all the tag team tam- other, other tag teams by himself? I think so because Doki
2: is a threat. What say you? Man, he needs to. I mean, before we start talking about Doki going on a, you know, Ryback run beating two guys at a time. Maybe he can just start beating some juniors, maybe get a title <laughs> shot. Let's focus on that.
3: Yeah, let, yeah let's get him a, a big uh, singles win here first.
2: I don't need Brodus Clay, Dopey. I just need, like, top of the junior card, Dopey, you know? <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs>
3: oh, man. But, yeah, definitely uh recommended uh, match here from this night. Then we move on to uh Great Okan defeating Taiji Ishimori. And there was a you know preview match uh last week where Taiji and Fale had defeated Okan and Cobb. So Taiji coming in with a little bit of momentum here.
2: Yeah, um this was good. I mean we've seen Taiji Ishimori have uh matches with, you know, heavier weight wrestlers and, and kind of seeing how that plays out. I thought him and Okan had a good match here and kind of played off one another well um nothing to blow away nothing that really stands out in my memory but you know um it was fine you know okan's the heavyweight he's the favorite guy he goes over and we're off to the races
3: yeah um ishimori he targeted okan's left arm in the match here so obviously okan being the bigger man ishimori was trying to break him down a little bit, and plus it also sets up for both Ishimori's um, submission holes, the, the Bone Lock and um, I think Bone Cruncher, or whatever the other one that he does now. Um, so he was working on the arm trying to set up the submissions here, but uh, Okan was just able to uh, outpower him and was eventually able to avoid a low blow and hit Ishimori
2: with the Eliminator. Now, I am the individual that famously booked Great Ocon to win this entire tournament, and I'm not saying it's not still possible, but I am nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous about my prediction that O'Conn's going to win the tournament because they've had this man losing on some of these undercard matches, and they don't have him picking up all the wins on the undercards. And, you know, that, that kind of, I don't know, that, that gives me pause for concern, you know?
3: Yeah, so... We'll see what happens, but I mean, so far, like they mentioned on the commentary, you know, he has the, the most singles matches this year and most singles victories. Obviously, a lot of that is against uh, dads and young lions, um, and guys like Hanma. But you know, he he's on a hot streak right now as far as singles matches.
2: Well, I didn't like that they had him lose on some of the undercards, and put my prediction <clears throat> put my prediction aside. Um, you know, just going back to the fact that. They have him on this hot streak. I don't see the sense in having him be the fall guy in tag matches that they have, especially when many of those matches he's teaming with uh um with Hinare, which, you know, I know not everyone wants Hanari to be losing either, but you know, if you've got okan going on this undefeated hot streak, why would you diminish that in any way by having him be the, the fall guy during tag matches? It seems so weird to me.
3: Yeah. I think, especially in the Fale Ishimori match, I think they are just trying to play out that, you know, potentially Ishimori could pull out an upset and beat him.
2: Yeah, we'll see. Um, If they are trying to throw people off of the Grado consent, they're doing a really good job of it right now. Yeah. (laughs) Like, if they're still going to have him win the tournament, I say still as if that was ever going to be the case. (laughs) But but, um, if that's what they're trying to do and they want people to not expect it, they're, they're killing it. Yeah.
3: So then the Simon event, we had Will Osprey defeating El Phantasmo, 17 minutes and 31 seconds.
2: This is my hot take, Jeremy. I know you're going to disagree <laughs> with me. I didn't love this match. I uh, Now, let's be very clear here. I've kind of come around on Phantasma over the past year or so um, compared to how I originally viewed him when he came into the company. And I know I've been um, a little critical of some of his matches with Will Ospreay in the past, especially when they were both juniors. So going into this match, considering everything that's been going on with Phantasma, the fact that he has this mental block and can't hit the sudden death, apparently. And, you know, the history between him and Will, and you know, Phantasmo might potentially be going up heavyweight. So this could be like a good barometer for what his potential is. There's a lot to be excited for here. Plus you know big boy will you know former world champion Will Ospreay it's a totally different dynamic and yes I thought that they went out there and I felt like the opener was incredible I felt like the close was incredible I felt like every once in a while there was a cool spot but the bulk of this match was kind of just slow meandering paced wrestling which kind of confused me considering the fact that it's Will Ospreay and El Phantasmo um I did, and then plus everything that they were doing in the the preview tag matches was so impressive, I sort of expected to get like a, I don't want to say exactly a Ricochet-Osprey match, but maybe something closer to what we've seen from Phantasmo and Osprey in the past. Um, It was not a bad match at all, but I've seen people praising this like it was like a really, really great match, and I don't think it touched the doki Zack Sabre match from the same night. Um, probably three and three quarters. It was fine. And, uh, you know, Will Osprey went over, which is to be expected. I thought ELP had a good accounting of himself. But I'm just not... The only time I've ever liked Osprey and Phantasmo as a, as a pairing was that first really great rep pro match they had before ELP ever came to the company. But since he's come to the company, I haven't really loved most of their matches. And I got to say, I think this is the lowest of all the Osprey, Phantasmo, New Japan matches.
3: Mm. Well, yeah, that's definitely uh, a hot take, especially seeing some of the other ratings on, on Grapple and Cage match. It seems like most people have this match around four, uh, four and a quarter. Uh, me being one of them, I, I went four and a quarter on this match. I I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, to me, I thought it was uh, fast-paced. Obviously, there, there was a ton of flips, a ton of cool Spots that continue the story of Phantasmo not being able to hit the sudden death and kind of losing his confidence, and so kind of having to go to all the other tricks in his book to try and beat Osprey until you get to the very end where he finally rebuilds confidence that he's going to throw a super kick. But Osprey cuts him off at the last second with the hidden blade and uh, gets a win. But I don't know, there's a lot to me, there's a lot of cool spots, a lot of cool counters, a lot of back and forth. Uh, a lot of cool, that looked really cool here, and I don't know, I, I really enjoy the match.
2: Well, here's the other thing, too, is like, uh, I've been binging these shows, so when you said that to me, I thought to myself, you know, I should go back and rewatch it, but then I thought, but I've got like three more nights of New Japan Cup I need to watch, so I can't afford, from a time management standpoint, <laughs> <laughs> to go back and watch Will Ospreay LP, so I'm just going to have to forever let that one lie dormant. And I'll always be right. and You're wrong. It just wasn't <laughs> that good. <Yeah. laughs>
3: well, then the uh, main event here, we had Sonata defeating Aaron hanare 25 minutes and seven seconds.
2: I, I believe that our theory that Sonata is a really good wrestler who can have great matches with great wrestlers and good matches with good wrestlers holds up here. I did not feel in this instance that this was a match where in a main event spot, Hanari was given an opportunity to go with one of the best in the company and they got a lot of time, 25 minutes. I did not feel that in that scenario, either of these two guys lived up to the expectations or the hopes of what they could have done out here. Um, This did not give me watching this a lot of uh, confidence in a Sonata US title run. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people kind of, Still uh, on the fence as to what to expect from that. Follow, you know, with him having to follow guys like John Moxley and you know Kent Tanahashi, and you know we kind of know what to expect match wise from them. And with Sonata, it's very inconsistent. And we saw what he can do against a guy that's less experienced and you know never been really given the opportunity. And it was just a fine match. You know, neither one of them did anything wrong. You know but no one did anything that really got me popping or really got me out of my seat. And you know, the big,
1: I don't want to put all this on
2: Sonata. A lot of it is on Aaron Hanari. This is the second time in a new Japan cup where they've put him in a really big spot. The last time I think was against what Jay White, right? Yeah, I think so. And he went out there in a main event spot and just kind of had a fine match. It's same complaint that we've had a, a, about guys like Wato and, and others in this tournament where, you're given an opportunity against a, a main stage player in the company you need to do everything in your power to to make the match really stand out elevate your stock and uh, i don't i don't think hanari did that here and for anyone wondering why he's the fall guy in united empire it's on full display here not because he's not good but when you compare it to what cobb's doing in this tournament to what you know osprey's doing in the tournament and and Great O'Connor, he just doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't cut the mustard. Yeah, man, I
3: absolutely agree with you. I honestly, I thought this match was pretty boring. Um, like, obviously, all, all the mechanics were fine. I mean, if you're kind of grading as far as like, the, the, the match and the the moves, like everything was executed well and correctly. There was no botches or anything. But I don't know. I just wasn't invested in this match. And like you mentioned, I don't, I don't think. Hanare, I mean, he worked hard but didn't really do enough to impress. And then we talked about for Sonata theory. I felt like Sonata kind of wrestled down to Hinare's level and didn't go above and beyond to try and make this match blow away or, or great. And so, and it hurt because it was a 25 minute main event right. match, and it just didn't um, live up to a, a main event status and. You know, after this, I'm I'm never predicting Hanare to win <laughs> anything again. Uh, oh, did
2: you predict him to, to beat Sonata?
3: Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was looking for the upsets. You know, we weren't getting any upsets, so I was like, oh, maybe, you know, you get the Hanare upset and he gets a future U.S. title shot, but that wasn't the case here. So I'm off the Hanare ever winning anything train. And then uh, as far as him getting any shots, I mean, I, I think he's fine in his role as the, you know, the fourth guy in in the empire and and the fall guy for those guys. But, uh, you know, once again, like you mentioned, given this big opportunity here, and I don't feel like he fully hit a home run here.
2: Yeah, I agree. They could have shaved a lot of time off that match, Uh, but that's fine. We'll move on to night seven.
3: Yep, so night seven continued the second round. We had Chase Owens defeating Tiger Mask at ten minutes and thirty-three seconds.
2: So funny story. So, like, you know how I mentioned I've I've been like kind of fast forwarding a bit through some of the tag matches and just kind of, you know, getting a feel for what's going on or whatever, more so than actually sitting there watching all of them. I don't know why, but I thought for some reason I saw Tiger Mask and I was like, oh, it's just another tag. I, I fucking fast forward through the whole, <laughs> through the whole match. <laughs> and then I saw Chase Owens beat Tiger Mask.
1: And I was like, all right,
2: well, that was the finish of that tag match. I think, plus, I saw Fale outside, and I just assumed he was the tag partner. And then I moved on. And then, like, at the end of the next match, they're like, the winner of this round is going up against Chase Owens, who defeated Tiger Mask in the last... I was like, wait a second, that was a New <laughs> Japan Cup match? <laughs> And then I thought I could go back and watch it, but why? It's Tiger Mask against Chase Owens. I know he probably hit him with a C trigger and like got him out of there over, you know a package pile driver. So, you know, I'm sure Folly cheated. It is what it is.
3: Yeah, you, you didn't miss much. Tiger Mask missed a flying headbutt. Uh Chase took advantage at the package pile driver and got the win.
2: The one thing I did read a review because I was like, should I go back and watch it? The one thing I did read, um, I don't know why you know I did say that they probably cheated but I actually read that this was a pretty straight up match now that I recall yeah
3: it was straight up
2: yeah so that that's kind of cool and refreshing I guess but I mean you know Tiger Mask and Chase Owens those are guys who are not going like I could I probably should have rewatched it because it probably was pretty good considering who's in it I just thought it was a tag match
3: yeah so, uh, moving on from there, we had uh, Shingo and Tangaloa, Shingo defeating Tangaloa. Um, and I thought this was a, a pretty good matchup.
2: It's pretty good. Um, there's not much more to add to it. I, I think Tangaloa has so far on this tour and in these matches, I think he's had a better accounting of himself so far than, say, like last year's G1. Yeah.
3: And, you know, the funny thing is with uh, Tangaloa, I don't even remember that interview a while back where he talked about, I think it was on Jericho's podcast. He wants to be a junior. Yeah, he wants to be a junior. And you look at the way he's been wrestling lately. He's been like, hitting Hurricane Ranas and these high indies and, like, just doing something. That,
2: that, <laughs> that's what I meant when I said he's had a better accounting. I know he only had this one match, but he's also been on the undercard tags. And I've kind of stopped and watched some of them just because of the angle and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. I noticed he's doing a lot more high-flying, high-impact moves, and I'm like, nice, Junior, junior t- Tangaloa, that's what I like to see.
3: <laughs> moves Tangaloa. <laughs> yeah, this man, this
2: man does flips now, it's nice.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, there's also this kind of a little power exchange here, and uh, Shingo having to work to kind of knock off uh, Tangaloa, but uh, eventually he uh, got him up for the last of the dragon and uh, put him away.
2: Yep, and as this match ended, it kind of just automatically started shifting into the next match, which is one of the more anticipated showdowns of the tournament, as we got an all-Bullet Club uh, interfactional match between Evil with Dick Togo versus Tamatanga with Jado. Yep,
3: yeah, so this was the, the matchup that, you know, I think a lot of people were looking, looking to, or just because of everything that's been happening with this whole Bullet Club storyline, and J versus J or Tama and where does evil kind of fit into all this? Well, I think it was made uh, pretty clear here that uh evil was at least uh, on J White side, or at least against Tamatonga at first. And we saw these guys have a match in the G one and Evil used all the shenanigans to uh to beat Tamatonga. And uh, you know, similar here. So we got, you know, Bayface, Tamatonga all all fired up and uh, you know, he was kind of taking it here to to evil, and didn't really seem to be looking for Bull Club Brotherhood. Yeah, uh,
2: he went out there pretty fired up. So, you know, um, I don't listen to his podcast necessarily. I, I haven't listened to many of his interviews, so I don't know what the full like thought process was for the Tamatanga character going into this match, but. Yeah, he wrestled evil, not like a guy that was like sort of on the fence. Are you with me? Are you not? Like, he just was like, fuck it. I don't give a fuck who's with me. You know, it's New Japan Cup. Run it with right. these hands. And um, I really I appreciated that. That's one thing I will say. Um, we've gone through our ups and downs on this podcast when it comes to Tamatonga. There have been times where we've been super high on him and then disappointed and then high again and then low. And it's been all over the place over the years. But this was like the most exciting. I think Tamatanga as a singles competitor has looked ever. And that includes this past year's G1 and that includes when he was cutting those you know crazy promos on Kenny back in the day. like he kind of remind me of like, I don't I don't even know who, like just someone that is a hot, fiery baby face, that the crowd really believes in and is behind. and I mean, that's kind of rare for a lot of baby faces in today's uh, wrestling environment, even in Japan. I mean, you see how many guys they try to establish as like a a baby face and they get like the respectful hand clap and, and everything like that. But like this crowd is they're with Tamatonga. And I, I think that probably speaks to the many years of toiling that him and his brother have done for the company and all the different times they got on the plane and all that sort of stuff. Because now that they're kind of being positioned to be baby faces, they're more over than I could have really hoped or expected for them. And that was really on display at the end of this match with the hot closing sequence.
3: Yeah, this crowd was super behind Tama Tonga. And also, I'm not sure how aware they are, what's happening. I know the, the Japanese media has been kind of publishing stories and kind of keeping updated on what's been happening with um, Jay and Tama here in the States. But yeah, they were definitely behind Tama here. I thought Tama... He really kind of set this up with the work he did in the G1 and just having yeah. those uh, really fiery face matches and, uh, you know, beating Okada and eventually having that that rematch with Okada um, at a Power Struggle. So he had a, a lot of good stuff there to kind of establish this kind of new style that he could be wrestling. And, yeah, I thought he, he looked really good here in this match. He had a ton of fire. Um, you know, he eventually hits the, the gun stun, which got a big, like, kind of gasp from the crowd. They thought that, you know, Tamo was going to get the kind of big win here. But then uh, I thought he
2: won when he hit that. I was like, oh, shit, he did it.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, too. But then, of course, uh, Dick Togo, he pulled the referee out uh, before the three count. And that's when we started getting the run in. So Jotto, uh came in. He got he had his own garot wire. He started choking out Dick Togo. Then Sho and Ujiro came out and they started beating up uh, Jado. Then Ishimori and ELP come on, come in, they chase away Sho and Yudro, and you're thinking, oh, you know, Ishimori and ELP, they're going to side with Tama Tonga, especially Ishimori, because Tama was the one who brought Ishimori into the Bullet Club, and they pick Tama up, but then ELP hits him with the sudden death, and they start beating up Tama. And then, uh, you know, you have, uh, oh, yeah, he hit the super inside of the ring, and then Evil, everything's Evil and pins Tama. Then post-match, you had more of the beat down and then you had um, Chase and Luck Fale coming out to the ring. It seemed like uh, Fale, he kind of hesitated to hit the grenade on Tama Tonga, and uh, then eventually he hit it on Tangaloa, and they continued to beat down um, both those guys, and they, they beat up Jado. Gato comes out, and he, uh, I think he hits Jado with uh, brass knuckles. And then uh, we get these guys that laid out gorilla Destiny. They throw up the two sweet. They are getting ready to throw it down, and, and Gato's like, "No, no, 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 no! Throw it up! We do it up now!" And they they, they, <laughs> they, they throw up the two sweet, and it seems like Bull Club it has is uh, all aligned, and God are out.
2: Yeah. So I mean, that's the 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 two positives of this. Number one, the excitement of a big change and a big angle, and the crowd is always going to react to that. We, you know, that was one of the complaints people did have initially when this whole storyline sort of kicked off was like, "You guys did one of the biggest New Japan storylines of the year in an Impact ring." You know, well, some of that's kind of been rectified here because they've kind of continued the story and done it, you know, on a big show uh, in a very public way. So that's cool um some of the drawback though was just how convoluted the whole entire ordeal was like you mentioned you know it seemed like member after member had to come out but they had to find a way to do it so that it like seemed somewhat plausible but over and over again it was pretty much just god and and you know Giotto getting their asses handed to them and eventually just kind of became like Man, this is kind of I don't know you guys are overdoing it a little bit i feel like there could have been a more concise way to do the angle because you get the initial big pop but then every single time new guys come out in this angle the pops became more and more diminished and it just kind of became a a long running thing where i'm like how long is that referee on the outside going to be knocked out (laughs) right but ultimately i guess the good thing is Resolution to the story because at this point it's not a bullet club civil war, it's just an ousting of God. Um, you know, and sort of like you mentioned, that we see bullet club aligned and we see them just out of the group now, so there's some finality there,
3: yeah. And it was posted today on Reddit on the Japanese New Japan site. Uh, God are officially labeled as their own faction with Tama, Tanga, and Jado, so yeah, they're. They're out of the club, even though it's uh, you know it's supposed to be for life. Uh, but yeah, they they've been uh, booted out here, in House of torture? They're they're aligned back with the the rest of Bullet Club and Gato, kind of running the charge here, while Jay is still uh, stuck in the
2: states. Yeah. So, and um, as we kind of alluded to on the undercards going forward, you see matches involving God versus Bullet Club. And even though I don't think any of those individual matches have been great, uh, it's kind of been one of the more interesting feuds that are ongoing through the remainder of the tour on the undercard. Yeah.
3: And we had a couple questions here. First from Dark Soldier. When Jada was in Tainless Corner, did you think he was going to betray him like the rest of the club? Because I thought he would.
2: Um, I didn't really give it too much thought, to be honest. But... You know, it did make, I don't know, it did make sense that you had, like, two heaters to kind of balance each other out. So, I didn't see it as, like, a double cross was coming.
3: Yeah, and Giotto's kind of been, you know, with G.O.D. for a while now, and G.O.D. have been his guys. So, it it made total sense for him to kind of stick with them and um, take the beat down from these guys.
2: Yeah, and I mean, uh, as a side note, this means Giotto and Ghetto are broken up, broken up, you know which I can't remember the last time that was the case.
3: Yeah, first time in a long time. Yeah, Gato stabbing the knife and his longtime uh, partner here.
2: Except for that time when he ousted him from the booking committee and made him go to Noah. That was the real breakup. (laughs) You don't don't see, John, those names on those Booker of the Year awards
3: anymore. Right. (laughs) Uh, Len, Les Commission, 7252, says, Everyone has made a decision in Bull Club except for Kenta and Hikaleo. Hikaleo is, of course, with the Tongans. My question is, should Kenta stay with Bull Club, or is it better for him to not be aligned with them? After watching and hearing Chase Owens on commentary of Kevin Kelly, is he better than Fantasmo? Oh, we're going that. So, yeah. So, Kenta, is he staying... Should he stay with
2: Bull Club or not? You know, um, I've had the thought in the past where, like, if he left Bull Club and went to a different unit or did something else, I wouldn't be too surprised. He... Uh, I don't think he's like an outsider, but he doesn't totally fit the way that maybe some of the, uh, the other like members do in my mind.
3: Yeah, I I wouldn't if he if he decided to not be a part of the group, I, I wouldn't mind. I don't think I have a hard time seeing him align with Gorilla Destiny. Uh, I do too. I, I don't think that would make um, the most sense. Uh, so, but ultimately, I think they'll probably just have him stick with Bull Club. Now he mentioned that Hikaleo is with the Tongans. I don't know if that is for sure. I mean, we would have thought that yeah, bad luck. we would have thought Badluck Fale would have would have stuck with uh Tama and Tangaloa, but he's still with Bull Club and on strong, Hikaleo has been Jay White's like right hand man. On strong has been his main heater. Um, so maybe Hikaleo's gonna stay where the money's at. Maybe he's gonna stay with Bull Club and stay kinda under Jay White's wing. Um, so we, ha- we haven't Will- seen Hikaleo in Japan since the pandemic, so once he gets in also, that'll be interesting to see where he ha- where he ends up going.
2: Will you be mad if on Sunday night, after Clark Connors loses, no, actually, I'm, I'm getting the matches mixed up, if after Chris Saban loses to Jay White, we end up with a Hikaleo run where he's the next guy challenging because he is letting everyone know that he's not part of the Bullet Club. But he puts Jay White on blast and then that means you have to watch that match in April when you go to WrestleMania weekend.
3: Well, since Jay's already booked um, against Speedball Mike Bailey, uh, I'm not too uh, concerned about that happening in Texas. Uh, Ah. (laughs) So maybe that will happen on on the the following tour or maybe at a Windy City Riot. But, um, you know, honestly, I I wouldn't mind a Hikaleo versus uh, Jay match. I think Hikaleo has gotten a, a lot better. Uh, I think it would be an interesting matchup, and it would, it would add more intrigue to the stuff
2: here in the States uh, of what's going on with Bull Club. Well, last note, Evil defeats Tamatanga, which means we get more Togoism for the remainder of the tournament as long as he stays in. Yep, unfortunately.
3: Well, <laughs> it takes us to our main event of this evening. We had Hiromu Takahashi Defeating Minoru Suzuki, 19 minutes and 33 seconds. Boy, oh boy, what a match! Hot take.
2: I like this match better than that famous Goshi Ozaki versus Nakajima match that happened at the end of this past year. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't count, but this this might be the most choppingest match I've ever seen. Like and that includes the match that Takahashi had a couple years ago with a uh, Dragon Lee, and that might also include like Kobashi and uh, Sasuke. Like these Suzuki and Tak and Hiromu went out there and just chopped the fuck out of each other. Like this, this has got to be a leading contender for Strong Style Fight of the Year right now. Like I, I was blown away by this match, and I've got it probably as my Number two, maybe number one match of the
3: tournament. I don't know. Yeah, this match was brutal. Like you mentioned, these guys were literally they they chopped each other the whole match, like all nineteen yeah. minutes. They pretty much chopped each other. I mean, there was a little bit of other moves in between, but for majority of this match, it was just all chops. Suzuki's chest was just Ugh. all like Hiromi was giving it all he got on every single chop, and his Suzuki's chest was. a Beat red. Hiromu's chest was red, and these guys were just throwing bombs back and forth. And I thought Suzuki looked really good here. You know, he's been kind of working, you know, his style of match, and kind of gets caught in that kind of, you know, pattern of his matches. And I thought he just looked excellent here. It's kind of this monster, um, sadistic guy trying to take out this junior and Hiromu, just fighting with everything that he had and he didn't get much of a chance to do a lot of high flying or a lot of his higher impact moves. He was just going toe to toe with Suzuki. The whole match is exchanging these chops and just a battle of will and showing fighting spirit. Yeah. This was an awesome matchup.
2: Yeah. The undercard um tag preview tag matches that involved these two leading up to this were also, chock full of awesome moments between them especially post-match where the you know Suzuki was just being this sadistic maniacal old man attacking this crazy guy in Hiromu and uh, very combustible elements between both of them and so we sort of knew what to expect going into this match but I, I feel like Suzuki they told a story where like when Suzuki did wrestle he could take Hiromu especially being like the elder being you know this master of the black arts of wrestling and then you know just the fact that he uh you know he's a heavyweight he could have taken her but instead he decided to go blow for blow like there was something kind of sadistic about it where he wanted to see how much Hiromu could dish out how much Hiromu could take and sort of played the game instead of trying to wrestle him and that might have been his detriment because he didn't realize how much like hell Hiromu was willing to go through to get the w in this match and Hiromu like put so much heart on the where the, there were chops where, like, I just heard, I could hear them, like, audibly, like, groaning. Yeah. But <laughs> it's not, it wasn't just selling. Like, it was, like, holy fuck, they're killing each other. And then, um, you know, the fact that he, instead of, you know, hitting Hiromu with a gotch, he let this guy go chop for chop for 19 minutes with him and, and got caught with a, with a pinfall, you know? Um, I, I love this match. I don't know if I loved the finish, but I loved
3: the match. Yeah, the finish was a, a little bit clunky with uh, Hiromu getting that, that roll-up towards the end there. But besides that, yeah, this the, the whole match, it was a great matchup. The, definitely the, the best matchup um, on this night. And like you mentioned, a top contender for uh match of the whole tournament, match of the month. Um yeah, this was just uh, an awesome, violent matchup. This will, will definitely be, as of right now, a candidate for Strong Style Fight of the Year. And they told a great story here of, like you mentioned, of Hiromu just you know, continuing to bite the bullet until he could finally catch that opening to uh, catch Suzuki here. And uh, that brings Hiromu in the next round to, to face evil
2: one last thing too you did a great job kind of highlighting suzuki's role in the match but you know we've got to give credit to hiromu because obviously we know how great hiromu is but it's not like he always has it turned on there have been quite a few like recent junior matches where i haven't necessarily been like let's say blown away with hiromu's performance especially compared to you know the the level of performer he was prior to his various injuries you know what i mean yeah but When he needs, when he's put in a spot to be given an opportunity like this, he understands when to turn it on and how to turn it on. And he did exactly that here. And that's the kind of thing that's missing from some of the guys we talk about in this tournament so far that were given their own opportunities, but they didn't go out there and have a fucking banger like Hiromu and Suzuki did, you know?
3: Right, yeah. Hiromu made the most of this this opportunity. It's very similar, like you mentioned, you know, two years ago when he was in the New Japan Cup when they came back um from the break in the pandemic and he was out there having bangers of Hanma and Ishii. Yeah. Um and just having all these really good matches in that tournament and that's, you know, what we got here with a We had this awesome uh banger here with Suzuki and, you know, he is set up now to potentially maybe even go deep in this tournament. You know, last time he fought Evil it was for the title. It was Evil's best defense and uh maybe he gets to win back here, it pulls an upset on evil. Um uh, but, yeah, he's set in a position for a really big uh, kind of a little push here. And I, I think it's good to do something different with Hiromu right now. You know, you, you can't just have Agreed. him do the same thing of chasing the title, winning with the Super Junior, going to Wrestle Kingdom, either winning or losing the title at Wrestle Kingdom. Like, he needs to do something different now. And so I think this is a kind of a good thing for him, getting that win over Suzuki. And with that win, you know, he potentially – and also, too, with Evil being the never champion, if he can beat Evil, then you could do a never title match of Evil and Hiromu and then start transferring Hiromu into more open-weight programs throughout the year.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that.
3: All right, so that takes us now to night eight
2: on the 14th. Oh, one last thing. Yeah. A lot of people are calling that upset, and I guess in a way it is, but if you listened to this podcast last week, you knew who to, you know, listen to when they told you who was going over in that
3: one. Yeah, even even two weeks ago, the, the, the bigger preview that we did, I mean... That's what I meant, two weeks we, ago. We, we all had um, Hiromu circled and if you, you look at a calendar, you, you would have known that that had to be the move here with Suzuki getting ready to come to the States for Mania Weekend and Windy City Riot. Eventually, he needed to get out of there uh, and, and get ready for the dates that he has coming up, so... It made a ton of sense for Hiromu to get the upset and uh, knock Suzuki out here. So now we move on to uh, night eight Uh, on the 14th. We only had two tournament matches this night. This kicked off the third round. So in the semi-main event spot, we had Shima defeating Hiroki Goto.
2: Yeah, this was one where I was kind of surprised. I heard a lot of different journalists and fans uh, predicting Goto to go over Shima here. And, you know, for my money, a guy that's an outsider and the leader of an organization and a group like the Stronghearts, I don't think, and, you know, a bona fide legend of Pro he's not going to go into a tournament like this unless he's getting some sort of preferential booking. And the very fact that potential of shima okada match is kind of looming out there and it seems that during this tournament they've been especially inclined to do as big of matches as possible so as to draw as much as they possibly can it seems like it just seems so um likely to me that shima and okada would be the next match but you heard a lot of people talking about goto being the guy to beat shima and kind of put his uh his little new japan cup run on you know to complete to here and i I was surprised to see that but um as far as the match go shima went out there and had a again copy and paste what i said earlier he's been wrestling good competent you know compelling guys and having fun energetic three and a half star matches and i think that's what him and goto did here again
3: yeah i really enjoyed this uh goto match here and um i i think like uh, a lot of pundits um Kind of sometimes maybe they they forget some of the the runs that outsiders have in the company. When you look at some of the outsiders they bring in tournaments, usually they they can go pretty far in these tournaments to pick up a lot of wins. If it's like a G one, um, and so yeah, I was happy to see Shima get the win here. Like we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, that you know he was the only outsider and you know the one kind of hope for something uh, some different matchup in this tournament. And so yeah, I really enjoyed this uh, Go To match in. I can understand why people think, thought Goto might win, because he is a, a champion. He is Mr. New Japan Cup. But uh, Shima was the right call here. And, and they got me towards the end of this match here, because there was a spot where yeah. Goto, he, he hits the Ushigoroshi and Shima kicks out. And I was like, oh. And then he goes for that armbar thing, and Shima escapes. And then Shima just hits this flurry and hits the... He uh double like, springboard Meteor yoras to Goto and gets a win. And I was like, all right, that was a cool finish. Really fun match up here. And Shima has just been one of the most fun guys to watch this whole thing.
2: Yeah, totally agreed. And, you know, I was excited at the end of that because then that led right into the next match, Okada versus Taichi. And was, I'm like, well, I feel like I know where we're heading with this one. So that's awesome. Um, but speaking of Okada Taichi, we got... Uh, Taichi out here, full mihoabe, full, you know, um, theatrical entrance. And he had his game face on, Taichi did. Um, there was no sense of the guy from like 2017, 2018, uh, Taichi that we've known. This was big match G1 level Taichi who went out there with Okada. And I thought that they tore the house down. Like I thought they really had an awesome banger. I'm probably like four and a quarter on this. And, um, this is probably in my estimation, one of the better Tai Chi singles outings that I can ever recall in New Japan. And I feel like if if this was the guy that we got every time he stepped through the ropes, he could potentially be one of my favorite guys. you know, um, we see we see a lot of what he did in this match sprinkled into his matches, but if he just like fully leaned into, the all Japan influenced roots that he has, the way he did here, and just drops people on their heads and just backfists people and, you know, does all these cool kicks. Um, I'd be all in on Tai Chi. Uh, you know, not for nothing. Okada's done had two matches now in this tournament uh, this one and then the desperado match, where he's gotten two different guys from Suzuki Goon kind of looking much better on the way out losing than they did going in. in
3: yeah, I thought this match was great. Also, I also went uh, four and a quarter. I thought, yeah, tai Chi was really motivated here and had a, a great uh, back and forth here with Okada. And, you know, I think we've kind of been seeing this kind of slow shift into more of the serious, kind of that all Japan style influence, like you mentioned, of tai Chi coming out. And I think especially now that he's, it seems like he's gonna be doing more single stuff, and seems like the Tickers aren't gonna be back together for a while. Uh, we haven't seen this more kind of slowly come out, more serious, more uh, Kawada kicks, more axe bombers, more dangerous uh, back yeah. suplexes, and we saw, you know, it turned up here in this Okada match, and it was just so uh, dope to see and really taking it to um, Okada here. Even he was he was hitting his kind of like his own version. Of like Rainmakers on Okada at one point in the match. and
2: uh, 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 Okada hit him with the last ride.
3: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, these guys yeah, are... There's a lot
2: of really great stuff in this match.
3: Yeah, stealing each his finishers and all that stuff. But um, eventually came down to the end where um, Okada does hit him with the Rainmaker and gets the win and advances on.
2: Yeah, and that sets up a fourth round showdown. Between Okada and Shima, which is a first time ever match and uh, kind of a dream match, so that's a that's a big one. And we'll, you know, we're going to keep our eyes on that one as it comes up.
3: Yeah. So then, moving on to today's show, night nine, March fifteenth, we had the conclusion of the third round. So we had uh, actually some more third round matches on the seventeenth. We are almost on the third round. We had uh, Jeff Cobb defeating Yoshihashi 17 minutes and 22 seconds.
2: This is one where I, I looked at what a lot of other people's feelings and opinions on the match were, and it seemed to be people were pretty low on this. I, I think I'm the odd man out on this one because I thought Jeff Cobb and Yoshihashi had a hell of a match today, and I thought that they outperformed Naito and Tanahashi on the same night. Cool. Um,
3: well, I was just about to say, hot take. Yeah, I, I enjoy this match way more than Tanahashi and Naito. I thought these guys had a really good matchup here. I thought Yoshihashi showed a, a ton of fire here. And, you know, the crowd, they're, they're, yeah. like, they're looking for the upsets. I thought like they were behind Yoshihashi. And he was just giving a lot of offense to Cobb. And Cobb was kind of scrambling to uh, put yeah. away Yoshihashi. Yeah, uh, Yoshihashi,
2: they the the close of the match was awesome just him surging and having so many near falls and then finally one misstep jeff cobb catches him tour the islands go to hell (laughs) (laughs) so it was really awesome finish um and yeah i thought cobb looked great here this reminded me in some ways of the match that we liked between yoshihashi and michael elgin a few years ago during the uh g1 Mm. but um yeah, I don't know. I, I saw a lot of reviews that were just very middle of the road here, and I felt like this was a, a little bit above average even for Yoshihashi, and I felt like Cobb had a great accounting of himself and you know looked good in defeat, looked strong, and moves on to the next round.
3: Yeah. So then the main event of the show was a Naito defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi, 18 minutes and 48 seconds. And normally you tell me – uh, you say Jeremy you're you're going to get a Naito Tanahashi tournament main event i say sign me up let me let me watch it uh but to me this was kind of disappointing these guys didn't deliver here um i don't know what it was I, I, to me i think part of it just might be like the the old manism of these guys kind of be broken down and moving a little clunky um But yeah, this is not the the high caliber stuff that we're used to when these guys are in the main event.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't, again, this was part of why we anticipated that there might be a bad luck Fale appearance during this portion of the tour because look at the house that they were in. That house wasn't deserving or needing a, a Naito Tanahashi match. And I feel like, the low energy of the crowd i don't want to blame i don't want to do a heel stick and be like it's your you people you fault. people but at the same time you know you do a tokyo dome worthy match and you do it in a rural part of the uh the tour in a smaller venue you get smaller venue energy from those guys and like you mentioned they are kind of torn down and you know i have to kind of wonder if they kind of went out there and just thought like yo i'm not gonna wrestle like i'm in you know, the Budokan, if I'm not in the fucking Budokan, and they're giving away a Budokan-level match, you know? Right. Cause, yeah, um, The other, the the one thing I will say, though, at the end, it started turning up to a really great match, and I expected it to go, like, another three or four minutes, and then it just ended. And I was really confused.
3: Yeah, the, the ending was kind of flat for me, so they had Tanahashi, he goes for the high fly flow, Hill moves, and then Hill does that, you know, that running roll-up thing that he does and just pins him
2: yeah and I, I i agree with you too when you talk about broken downism i do feel like there might be some old manism there because uh you know uh, both of them just came off pretty hard rigorous main event matches on the last tour and you know are probably gearing up for whatever's next and This is the middle of the the fucking tour at this point. They probably are a little banged up. They're probably trying to work as smartly as possible to get prepped for whatever, whatever actually truly bigger matches they have later on the tour, as weird as that sounds.
3: Yeah. And honestly, I I feel like Tanahashi just looks uh, really rough right now. Just like looking at his body and just the way that he's even just walking or moving. Mm -hmm. And he's still hitting these high fly flows to the floor here in this match also. And I don't know, he doesn't doesn't look that great right now.
2: No, literally. So as a tribute to Scott Hall, he did the Razor Ramon walk, uh, the shuffle, sidewalk, whatever it is he does. And a friend of ours, like, took a gif of it, was like, at first I had no idea that he was doing a tribute to Scott Hall. I was like, why is this man limping like this? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And once he said that and I, like, listened to it, I was like, that's totally plausible. That's how bad, like, Tanahashi's moving. It's plausible to think he's got some sort of old man gate right there.
3: Yeah, it's it's pretty rough. Like, they need to stick him in multi-mans and let him rest up uh, because, yeah, his, his body is taking a beating.
2: Or better yet, maybe he could take some time off. <laughs> yeah. You know, Tanahashi never takes time off. Like, it's he's never gone. And, you know, and he's one of my favorites, but, like, you know, sometimes you need to take time off to take care of things, you know?
3: Yeah, rejuvenate. Yeah, get, get the body right, get the mind right, and then kind of refresh. I think he could definitely use that. And I, I don't think at this point of where the company at, adding Tanahashi to certain undercards is going to make that big of a difference in the house. Uh, yeah, they got
2: big stars, you know, evil.
3: <laughs> the the newly, you know, reunited bullet club.
2: Yeah. Um, Show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do it for our review of this portion of the New Japan Cup, but we've still got a few nights remaining for the rest of the tournament.
3: Yep. So, starting on the 17th, it'll pick back up with round 3 action we'll have Zack Sabre Jr. taking on the great Ocon, which they have been building that pretty well in these multi-mans, and both of these guys yeah. were exchanging submissions on each other today. Um, so that should be a fun matchup. They had a great G1 matchup, so the, that that match should be great. And then also uh, the main event of that show will be Sonata taking on Will Ospreay. And I feel like this is a, a very important match. I think this match can go either way.
2: I think both of these matches could go either way but um this one you're probably right is a little bit more so um i did call the upset here for sonata to win but seeing how things have been playing out over the tournament i wouldn't be surprised if will you know does end up like facing shingo or something like that at this point you know it's hard to say um same thing with you know with zach and Ocon. i knew it was going to be difficult for Ocon to beat him but I thought it was plausible given how hot they were booking him prior to the tournament. But now that we've been in this tournament, Zach has just looked like a killer (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) on the undercards and in his matches. And, and Ocon hasn't really felt that way. So if he does get past Zach, I'll be surprised.
3: Yeah. It's going to be his toughest test in this tournament so far. And, yeah, I mean, Sabre's a guy, also, you know, he's won New Japan Cups before, he had that excellent G1 this year, had the excellent title match with Shingo as well, um, so he could be a guy, they maybe want to continue the momentum of that, and you, you throw him into a course, you, you do it, maybe him versus Osprey or him versus Sonata, he has great matches with both those guys, um, so they could go that direction.
2: Yeah, just last year, he had a near five-star match with Will Ospreay in this tournament. right. Yeah, yeah so nice. that's that. I, I gotta say, I think that that's one of the most exciting, um, remaining portions of the tournament. Just that that top right corner there.
3: Yeah. Uh, then on the 18th, we'll have Shingo taking on Chase Owens and Hiromu taking on Evil.
2: So, this is one where I'm not, uh, as, as much looking forward to the outcome or to the actual matches themselves, but, um, You know, it is very intriguing to see getting um, a a Shingo evil match or are we getting a Hiromu Shingo match? I don't believe that Chase Owens is going to pull an upset on Shingo here. And if he did, I, I, I don't know. I would just call that into question because I feel like there's been much better upsets they could have already done as opposed to that one. So I'm banking on Shingo winning no matter what. But the big question is, are we getting the dream match, him and Hiromu? Or are we getting, you know, the two bigger established heavyweight stars, him and Evil? Where do we go from there, really?
3: Yeah, I mean, with uh, Shingo Chase, like you mentioned, I, I feel like uh, Chase has had kind of a cakewalk in this tournament so far with some pretty beatable opponents. And so, yeah, I, I think it's time for him to kind of get out of here. I would say it's going to be booking malpractice to have him beat Shingo, especially the guy that Shingo's been beating so far, is the role that he's been on this year and coming off of winning the world title. Uh, Yeah, Shingo should beat him pretty easily. Yeah, the the big intrigue is going to be this main event with Hiromu and Evil. We are just one step away from my prediction of having Shingo and Hiromu. I think Shingo and Hiromu will be such an intriguing matchup. I think it's the matchup this tournament needs to to get a little buzz and some excitement uh, happening here and also, I think, like I mentioned earlier, it's the best trajectory for Hiromu's future. You can get him in a never title match. You can do some never-stuff with him and kind of keep him out of the junior title scene for a little bit. Um, so I'm hoping that Hiromu does get the, the win here. Moving on, on March 20th, we will have uh, the first set of quarterfinal matchups. So we'll have Shima taking on Kazuchika Kata and then we will have a Wrestle Kingdom rematch as Jeff Cobb takes on Tetsuya Naito.
2: Yeah, this is a tough one for me to call one way or the other. I, uh, I don't think it's likely, but if there were someone that could upset Okada in this tournament, I think Shima is one of the, the few guys in, on that side of the bracket that could do it. But I'm anticipating Okada going through to the next round at least and facing the winner of Cobb, Naito. That's how I've got it booked on my bracket. I've been almost perfect so far. Uh, I think where I defer from a lot of people is I've got Naito going through against Cobb, although the way that he's been performing in this tournament, I wouldn't be opposed to Cobb going through.
3: Yeah, I am also have Okada going through – like I think Shima could pull the upset, and you, you could do a, a Okada Shima title match from that at the right. next show, but just the role that Okada's been on the whole fiftieth anniversary being built around him, I mean, there's a very good chance that Okada could just win this whole tournament as champion to kind of continue this kind of mega push that he's going in right now and kind of being the face of this uh fiftieth anniversary celebration um so I think it makes it can make a ton of sense to have him win in advance here.
2: Well, you know, there have been people that have won the G1 or G1 equivalents in the past as the world champion in New Japan. But nobody's ever won the New Japan Cup as the champion. So, yeah, like you said, if you did want to really cement something about Okada's legacy, that is something you could do there because it's unlikely it would ever be replicated. Um, I still got to wonder about the two big shows that they have coming up after the New Japan Cup, I I think they still need two challengers in place, regardless. That's why I anticipate Okada losing, but hey, who knows? Maybe he does go all the way. Yeah. Then with Cobb
3: and Naito, I kind of lean more towards Cobb winning um, and doing another Cobb-Okada matchup. Um, I don't know. I I feel like it might be a little bit too soon for another Naito-Okada match, but I mean, it, is, it could easily do that as well. And you could have Naito get the win back again, and then you do another Naito Okada title match um, in April or May. Or you could have Cobb be the one to get the upset, and you do another Cobb title match in April and May. Or Okada just beats one of these guys.
2: Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Um, yeah, if I'm t- if I'm to be believed, then Naito is beating Okada, but we'll see.
3: Yeah. Then the last show before we record again Will be on the 22nd The winner of Great Ocon and Zack Sabre Jr. Will face the winner of Osprey and Sonata And then the winner of Shingo and Chase will face the Winner of Hiromu and Evil
2: Yep and the way that I had it booked out Okon faces Sonata Shingo versus Evil and then out of that we get a right side final of great Ocon versus I believe Shingo.
3: All right. How I, I booked it out. I had Ocon facing Osprey, Shingo facing Haromu, and then I have Shingo and Osprey winning for those guys to get a rematch of last year's tournament final.
2: With all that being said, um taking a look at the right side i will say this the only person that i can completely outright say is not going to the finals is chase owens right <laughs> um they've done a good job at the, you know i know we're four rounds deep at this point but they've done a great job getting the right names by the third or fourth round that can have good matches with one another and be real players to potentially win the tournament you know even if some of them are like Ocon and Peroma might not be favorites, it's still plausible. Right.
3: So, yeah, so. That, that wraps up new Japan Cup coverage for this week. Next week we'll be back to review everything that's happened and kind of set us up for the uh, finals coming up. So we're going to transition into news right now and have some news about the Lone Star shootout. We also had some breaking news that happened As we're recording about the Lone Star Shootout. So, Killer Cross will be making his New Japan Pro Wrestling debut come April 1st at the Lone Star Shootout. Uh, Any thoughts on on Cross in New Japan, Josh?
2: Does he want to control his narrative?
3: Um, It it seems like he does elsewhere, but, uh, you know, New Japan just posted this uh, promo video of him. And it seems like he's going to kind of go with that kind of the MMA Background and he's beating people up in a in a gym. Um, oh God, you mean Anokism?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, I like Killer Cross when he's good, but I didn't like anything about his run in WWE. So we'll see.
3: Yeah, I mean, I haven't been the the biggest Killer Cross fan as long as they keep away from the spooky stuff, keep away from the control your narrative stuff, and just let him, you know. Suplex people and do submissions I think he can, he can fit in um, So other stuff Announced for Lone Star Shootout We have some match announcements There's going to be an 8 man tag With uh, Juice, Finley Kevin Knight and Daniel Garcia Taking on Mascara Dorada, Carl Fredericks Clark Connors and Yuyu Amora And then in the singles match we're going to get Rocky Romero, our good friend Taking on Ren Narita and I already announced for that show Speedball Mike Bailey answering the US of J Open challenge, taking on Jay White. Also, Tomohiro Ishii taking on Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson in Dickinson's first match back since his injury. Uh, the Good Brothers and Great O'Connor have been announced for NJPW Winnie C. Riot in Chicago on uh, April 15th. So, with the Good Brothers there, I'm sure we'll see some continuation. All the Bullet Club storyline uh, here in America. The I don't know if you
2: uh, mentioned it last week. Suzuki's been announced for that as well.
3: Yeah, Suzuki. I think we we mentioned it last week. But, yeah, if we didn't, yeah, Suzuki is also announced for uh, Windy City Riot. Then uh, free match of the week is last year's New Japan Cup Finals with uh, Shingo versus Will Ospreay. So that is free on YouTube and New Japan World. Uh, it's an incredible match. Yeah, love that matchup. Uh, this week on Access TV after Impact, they're going to air the Sonata Tanahashi US title match from the Golden Series. So if you didn't check that match out and you have Access, here's your chance to to watch that on Access TV. Uh, then for Bloodsport, uh, Mania Weekend in Dallas March 31st, they announced Matt Mikowski versus Yuya Uemura. That sounds pretty awesome. Then hopping over to some Rev Pro news, Sunday, May 22nd, Rev Pro Epic Encounter, Will Ospreay will defend his Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight Championship
2: against Minoru Suzuki. So Yeah, that that sounds really incredible. I mean, we've kind of seen Suzuki, what he's, you know, some of his work, uh, when he does these little excursion runs and it's been a while since he's been in Rev Pro and he is one of the like top stars or was, you know, previously when he was kind of touring there regularly. And I don't think we've seen too much of him in Osprey except for like maybe one G one match. And Osprey's just been on this incredible tear, especially recently this year in Rep Pro. So yeah, that's one to definitely earmark.
3: Yeah, this brings back the good old days when you have the Rev Pro champion facing off against like, a top. New Japan guy, you know, we've seen guys like Ishii right. go in there for Red Pro title matches and stuff like that, so uh, that, that'll be good to kind of reestablish that and get, especially since travel is opening up, get some offspring defending that Rev Pro belt against some uh, New Japan guys. Yeah. Um, then last piece of news here, uh, per the Japanese media, there there have been 8 to 10 foreigners who are expected to compete in April's big Rising card, and the reason I, I bring this up, this also affects uh, you know, New Japan so, Ryzen, they're, they're bringing in, um, you know, 8 to 10 new guys for their promotion, which means you would think that uh, New Japan could potentially bring in some new foreigners coming up pretty soon as well.
2: Uh, if that's the case, yeah. I mean, we still don't know what the work visa situation is getting those approved. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would love it.
3: Yeah, so hopefully this is uh, things in the right direction for New Japan as well and we will uh, be able to get guys like Tom Lawler and Dickinson into New Japan, especially as G1 will be coming up this summer. It will be great to get a ton of strong guys, maybe a couple AEW guys or some of these top uh, independent guys who are kind of on the scene right now to get a really uh, great G1 this year. So now we just have a few uh, questions here. Recommended match of the weekend. We'll wrap things up. Uh, so, first, some MJS PR. He says, Love the new logo. Have you asked Okada's family for permission to use his silhouette?
2: Do <laughs> you know what he's referring to? Yeah, he's
3: referring to the whole uh, Four Pillars uh, shirt debate that was happening this
2: week. There's one thing I wanted to mention. I I guess I should mention it off there, but as far as that logo, uh, a friend of ours uh, created that for us. Shout out to Zach. What's up, Zach? Um, the original design that I saw, the middle of the logo has a white background, but lately, since we've been using it, it has a black background. Is there any way to get that white background back?
3: Um, well, I think the, the original one was just like a, a PNG with no background, so when you uh, you put it on ah. stuff, it just kind of takes whatever uh, color of the background. Because I
2: like I liked the white background in the center of it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we'll have to talk to our people about
3: that. <laughs> yeah, we we could have him throw it on there and see what that looks like when we uh, put it on stuff. But yeah, shout out to Zach for the uh, new logo. Uh, you know, didn't ask him for it. Yes, see I guess he got bored one day and started messing around with with the logo and doing some a couple options here. So uh, hey, if, cool.
2: and if any of you guys get bored and you want to do promotional work or design work for keeping a strong style, we will accept your free labor any day of the week.
3: Yeah, if anybody wants to be the official keeping a strong style intern, uh, you know you can help me uh, put the rundown together, get get the listener questions out there, uh, send the tweets out. You know we'll we'll get you hooked up for a, a nice internship, full of experience
2: and no pay. We're looking for financiers as well. <laughs> if you want to invest into keeping a strong style? You know, let's talk.
3: Uh, we had a question here from Dark Soldier. It says, in G128, Juice and Goto, the respective U.S. and never champions, scored the lowest in the B-, B block. When it happened, I thought it was to set up future title matches, but they immediately lost their titles. Why did they book it like that?
2: Because they're hoes. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, that was like when we were, like, expecting or hoping that Juice and Goto would, like, rebound and, and do well, and they didn't.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not really any like, clear reasoning for it. I, just, I guess that's what Gato booked. I mean, we all thought that, yeah, Juice is going to kind of have this comeback at the end of the year. He's going to defend the belt against all the guys he lost to and kind of prove people wrong and uh, you know, go through this, me- this this crazy tour of just beating people until he gets to like, the Wrestle Kingdom and have a, a big match there, but didn't quite work out that way, yeah. And I also I don't even remember who who did go to lose it to after that. I don't remember now.
2: I'm trying to remember. Like, was it Kenta? 2018? That's probably too far back,
3: huh? Uh, cause, yeah, because Kenta came in 2019.
2: G1. I don't even know, man. I, I have I, no I, idea. Yeah, I don't.
3: I, off the top of my head, I don't even remember right now. But I mean, it's a never was title. it Tai Chi maybe what, what the three-way like him Taichi Elgin.
2: I don't know. That's so far back. Maybe I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember right now. But, I mean, for, it was more kind of, I guess, shocking for the Juice loss, for the Segodo loss, because, I mean, it's a never title. Never title kind of bounces, bounces back and forth of all time. But I was expecting more of like a run for Juice, the U.S. title. Uh, next question here from Les Commission, 7252. What do you got? What would you guys rank the members of chaos as in members? It's clear that Josh will pick yo last.
2: That's not true. <laughs> Obviously I'm going to put stat last. Girl stat last. And after her, Sue.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to pull up.
2: That's the, that's the real question. Who counts as being part of Chaos.
3: You know? Well, um, pulling up the, the, the Wikipedia here. We we got uh, Orange Cassidy. I don't I
2: don't no, I don't
3: Robbie Eagles, Goto, Ishii, Nichols, Okada, <laughs> Romero, Statlander, Tucky T, Trent Baretta, Sue, oh. Toriano, Yo, Yoshihashi, Wheeler Yuda, and Danhausen.
2: Bro, I don't think Danhausen's even part of the best friends. How is he part of chaos?
3: Well, he's best friends adjacent, so I guess that makes him chaos adjacent.
2: Dude, I I refuse on standards of principle. I'm not I'm not ranking people from AEW.
3: Okay, so so no no Utah, no Danhausen, no I'll Chuck E.T., Best friend stat Sue.
2: Um, I don't know. I would. I would rank the members of chaos i'd go okada number one and then ishii number two and then uh who's in this i don't even know who's in this group anymore i guess uh, goto yeah there's goto Shihashi. eagles yoshihashi
3: yano I'm not, yo
2: i'm not ranking everybody that's too many people
3: i mean i'll, I'll go i mean okada's, okada's at the
2: top and i don't know um yeah yo probably is at the bottom right
3: yeah I mean, so yeah, I would take obviously get Okada Ishi, then
2: Yano's at the bottom.
3: I, w- I would probably take Eagles after Ishi, then Goto, then Yoshihashi, yeah, then Yo, and then maybe Yano dead last. Mm. Uh, and then uh, Ethan Black for his uh, serious question. He says favorite New Japan Cup finals and worst New Japan Cup finals.
2: That's a tough question.
3: Um, well, I think for the worst, I mean, and this might just last be, years. Yeah, recently biased with um, the one, the one with uh, evil where he won it against Okada uh, or was it against yeah. Naito. The which,
2: who did he beat? It was it ok- was against Naito? Naito, yeah as far as favorite final I'm, i don't know man like what do you have one
3: i I mean, i'm I've been, I've been struggling thinking of what is my favorite um i'll say i really enjoyed shingo and osprey um the saber finals uh was a great one
2: but yeah yeah see the tough part for me is like I don't know that i've always loved all these finals so i'm like i'm actually looking on wikipedia just to even remember um what finals have occurred you know um and did i love any of them yeah oh man you know that that's kind of the sneaky secret not a lot of these final matches have really been like blow away um I guess i'd probably go with last year's probably osprey and, and shingo
3: yeah that that seems like it was that'd probably be as far as like a match quality probably the the best one um followed for me probably, yeah, probably the tanahashi saber from 2018. that one's really
2: good yeah uh the 2012 one between goto and tanahashi is really good but there have been a lot of there, i will say this there have been very few actually bad finals but not many of them have been like upper tier yeah and it makes sense because for a long time they treated this tournament as kind of the non-g1 you know
3: right it's usually kind of used a the way to kind of catapult like a, a upper mid-card to get them a title shot and so a lot of the top guys would get knocked out so it wasn't yeah it wasn't your kind of high caliber tournament yeah well, that wraps it up for all the questions. Uh, recommended match of the week last week. Uh, I recommended for everybody to watch uh, Naito versus Bushi from the New Japan Cup 2018. Did you get a chance to check this one out, Josh? Yes, I
2: did. And um, I thought that this match, um, you know, the first time I saw it, uh, we, we were, you know, very... I don't know. We praised the match obviously because it was really awesome. But I feel like rewatching it now I have even maybe a higher regard for the for this match. Um I still don't think it's the the highest of heights for the feud. I think some of the matches they'd had just the year prior probably a little bit better.
1: But this really
2: kind of set the stage for the series of matches that they would have that year, which got To the highest echelons of like crazy violence and we saw that kind of kick-started here with some really dangerous and scary spots towards the second half of the match and i love the story where you know both guys are just working over each other's neck and how every big bump towards the tail end sort of becomes like more you know painful and and sort of concerning just based on the types of uh offensive game plan they've imposed on each other yeah this match fucking rules like and i think that they even topped it the next two times out but this one yeah it's awesome
3: yeah awesome match i just i just remember the first time we watched it live just like kind of cringing some of the the next spots there and now you, you go back and watch it and yeah man just like the the amount of work that they put in and just the story they told and the crazy spots they did just yeah it makes it even better on a second viewing
2: yeah i agree and if you haven't seen that match highly recommended go out of your way and watch it while you're at it most of the naito and uh, abushi matches are worth checking out
3: yeah so what you got for um, us for this week
2: so uh in light of the recent passing of scott hall um i kind of have a deep cut shouldn't be that deep of a cut but kind of um a match from a period where less people might have been watching new japan but um we're gonna go with scott hall versus kiji muto in the main event for the triple crown title on september 23rd 2001 um, now you can't find this match on new japan world but it is easily and readily available on daily motion and Pretty much all over the internet and uh doesn't go too long you know uh it's like a 15 16 minute match but a 2001 style match singles match between an old even back then kiji and a breaking down scott hall does not sound like it could be appealing at all trust me when i tell you this this match is better than any than it has any right to be
3: Nice. So I'm looking forward to uh, checking that out because I haven't seen any of uh, Scott Hall's uh, New Japan work. So it'll be fun to watch and some of the stuff that, uh coming up on New Japan World and stuff that people are finding on YouTube.
2: Yeah. Now, I will say this isn't like a blowaway match or anything like that. But, you know, Scott wasn't necessarily always used at the very tip top as a main event player in New Japan. This is probably one of the few, like, major singles matches he had. And I do think it's probably one of the best that he had in New Japan. But, um, you know, make no mistakes about it. This is not going to be like a five-star classic, but it's also much better than it probably should have been considering the time period it's happening, who's involved in it.
3: Yeah. Well, looking forward to checking that out. And that's going to uh, wrap things up for us this week on Keeping a Strong Style. Next week, we'll be back to need to review the quarterfinals of the tournament. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. By visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We're at Facebook.com slash Suplex. Also find us in the Wrestling Square Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, where we're at Suplex. On Reddit, I am Jeremy. I am the pro-black guy. keeping the just keeping a strong style, email me, jeremy, at socialsupelux.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. one radio hosted by Rich Ladder and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb Maserati, all things Leap of Floyd in Austin, AW Match Guy podcast hosted by Sir Sam, and the great match generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on keeping it strong
2: style the ace of podcasts we'll see you guys out there Sunday.
1: thank you for listening to keeping it strong style we'll see you next time